Hey everybody, there are a ton of ways that you can follow us online. We've got our website, realnerdspodcast.com, that you can go to and you can read articles and find the podcast episodes there as well. If you like social media, you can follow us on Facebook at Real Nerds Podcast or on Twitter and Instagram at Real Nerds. You can also call us anytime and leave a voicemail at 720-6-NERDS-5 and then we'll play your voicemail on the show. Thanks for listening. I hope you like us. Hi, this is Dave Callahan, creator of Jean-Claude Van Johnson. And this is Peter Atencio, the director of Jean-Claude Van Johnson, and you're listening to the Real Nerds Podcast. This is Real Nerds Podcast, unofficially the official podcast of Denver Pop Culture Con 2021 and beyond. I'm Ryan. On Zoom again is Brad, Corinne, and Zach. Yep, yep. Every week on Real Nerds Podcast, we see a new movie and we podcast our experience of the world, except for the last 15 weeks, we've been stuck at home and uh, going back in time. This yep. time, we went back to 1994 when Alec Baldwin was a star and um was he though <laughs> yeah you know i think he's actually well, when he was good looking for sure that, that, yeah that, that's true that's true I, know, I think he still looks good he do- oh no he does i'm just hey. wondering like were we giving him enough roles <laughs> he still looks good for his age kind of like the way harrison ford does but he yeah. doesn't look like super attractive anymore obviously because he's like what 60 something probably yeah, um probably. yeah so we we saw we watched the shadow this week we'll tell yeah. you if you should Revisit the Shadow. We'll also talk about movies that are coming out, movie news, and stuff we've been watching. Yes, he seems like he's about 62. Yeah. Um, <laughs> yep. Thank how's you, Ryan. Our, how's everybody's week going? Pretty bad. <laughs> yeah. yeah. It, it hasn't been the best of weeks, it seems like, all around. So. Yeah. Well, I had a very interesting conversation with my boyfriend yesterday. Ooh. I don't know how we got onto this discussion, but I mean, he's told me before how he just doesn't really watch movies. Like even for an, a regular person, he doesn't watch. Like if I'm up here, like if we're up here and then your average person's like in the middle, he's like way at the bottom. Like he never watches movies like ever. And like when we went to the drive-in and we saw Iron Man and Beauty and the Beast 2017, he hadn't seen either of them yet. Which was wow. very surprising. Wow. We're talking about movies yesterday, and I start listing off, like, have you seen this? Have you seen this, 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 this? And he's like, no, 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 no. Like, I'm just trying to, like, find something. And he's like, I've seen Willy Wonka and the Chocolate Factory. And I'm like, okay, that's good. Have you seen the Indiana Jones movies? He's like, no. Oh, my God. The Star Wars movies. He's like, I've seen one through six. And I'm like, have you seen the sequel trilogy? And he's like, I've seen Rogue One. Oh, and then I said something about the Hayao Miyazaki movies, and he's like, what is that? Is that anime? And I'm like, well, I mean, what kind of, sort of, not really. And he's like, oh, I don't like anime. Uh-oh. That's and all I, right. I just, I just, uh, I about had a brain aneurysm because I was like, what? You don't like anime? Not what, everybody anime? likes anime. Anime is weird. Not, 
I mean, not that weird. And he even said, like, I haven't watched Avatar The Last Airbender because it looks like anime. And I'm like, but it's not anime. And it just, it's in the style of anime, whatever. It's your job to educate him. I know. And then he brought me this beautiful bouquet of roses. No one cares. No one cares, Corinne. (laughs) So he makes up for it in in generosity. (laughs) Ryan, don't don't disparage this. We're watching a romance blossom once again on the Real Nerds podcast. (laughs) Yes. We're very happy for you, Corinne. (laughs) Oh, thank you. Yeah, we've been going out for more than six months now, but I didn't tell a lot of people for a while just because we were... Well, we were kind of just kicking it, and then the pandemic happened, and I'm like, well, I guess we're serious now. <laughs> so, and then of course it's like it's hard to tell people when you don't see them in person anymore. Yeah, I get it. Yeah. Oh, yep. but I forgot to tell you the other half of my story was that I sent him the AFI top 100 list, and I was like, how many of these have you seen? And I counted, and I had seen 41. I texted my youngest sister and as like a control group. And I was like, how many have you seen? She said she'd seen 21. And then my boyfriend texted me that he had seen 11. So hmm. I'm like, okay, it's time to put together my list of the definitive hundred movies you need to see before you die. So that will be my next post for the real nerds website is the hundred movies, my hundred movies you need to see before you die. Cool. Can I wait? I'm sure you guys have seen most, if not all of them. He may have seen more than I have on the AFI list, actually. So The AFI list is a little skewed, though. I mean, it doesn't have Army of Darkness. It doesn't have uh, anything. It has a lot of on... older movies on there, for sure. You know, what it, you know what it doesn't have? You know what it doesn't have? Halloween H2O. And I think that's a movie you should watch. That is a travesty. <laughs> <laughs> I can't so, believe it threw my favorite franchise under the bus. I mean, there were some low-hanging fruit on there that I was like, I can't believe, like, like Snow White and the Seven Dwarves is on there. And he's like, I've never seen that movie. Hmm. Uh, well, I guess depend on how old he is. Because, like, it, it seems like it, it, okay, it seems like we kind of got Snow White and the Seven Dwarves on accident because it came in that slew of VHSs that Disney released. So, like, we got the old ones and the more recent 90s ones all in a big bunch. But like I don't know, I don't know if my nephew's even seen Snow White. He's watched Frozen two how many times? I can't tell. But but I don't right, think he, uh, Zach, that's your job. <laughs> get him I'm, to watch Snow White. <laughs> I'm trying to get him to watch some of those ones. I've tried. My sister said that she tried to get him to sit down and watch Fun and Fancy Free, which she knows is my favorite, and he apparently was bored. But yeah. he's two and a half. <laughs> Zach. What he but what? He's two and a half. What does he know? <laughs> We it's will different talk- to make a two-and-a-half-year-old watch a movie versus an almost 30-year-old. But but you don't understand. Fun and Fancy Free has ventriloquist dummies. It should be amazing for all ages. <laughs> um, but yeah, actually, we will talk a little bit of Disney and what we've been watching, too, because I got a heaping dose of Disney this week. From so, the- uh, so I'm going to tell you guys something, and I don't want you to be afraid of me, Okay. Okay. So remember last week how I was telling you that I kept on having a fever and it, and then I felt better. On Monday it came back and my fever was a hundred and like three. Hell yeah! I, I went in and I totally do something great at COVID. it. What? You, you, what? Yeah. Oh. Wow! Nineteen or just coronavirus in general? No, no, COVID nineteen. Oh, like I, I just couldn't get better. Like I uh, last week I had a fever. Then I went to work and I was fine. And then um, 
that Monday night, like I got a really bad fever again, like 103. And then I was hanging out with Kellen and <laughs> Laura started getting really concerned about me because I'm a dude, so I don't really care. <laughs> and so um, she texts me and I was just like zoning out on the couch because Kellen was watching YouTube kids or something. And uh, she asked me if I was like, okay. I was like, yeah, I'm fine. And then like eight minutes later, I checked my temperature and it was 102. And I text her back. I'm like, oh, I should probably go get this checked out. And uh, yeah. So for like 10 days, I had a, like an on and on and off fever. And uh, now for uh, four days, I haven't had one. So okay. yeah, it's been Shit. great. But you still got the yeah. virus? I did. And you still have it? No, no, I, it's gone now. No. Like it, it takes, it's really weird. Like uh, I went in, I was talking to, uh, you know, the people at Kaiser and they said, what did it, when did you start getting, you know, feeling bad? And I told him, I was like, I don't know, like six days ago. And the dude's like, you've had a fever for six days and you haven't come into the doctor's <laughs> office. And it's like one of those things where like it would go away for a day. It was so weird. Your brain's and, been boiling in your head for six yeah, days. Yeah. And I, uh, so I, I went there and he, <laughs> He looked at me and he's, and he's like, dude, <laughs> uh, I said, I'm like, good, right? You're a police officer. <laughs> like, yeah, well, you, you have good judgment. Um, <laughs> well, like he, uh, he was, he said, well, it could be pneumonia. Um, but he said, but I don't think so. Um, and yeah, it sucked. I mean, it actually wasn't like horrible. It was weird. I like, uh, you'd get a, I, I got a fever and then I would take aspirin or Tylenol or ibuprofen and it'd go away and then i would feel fine and then during the afternoon i'd get like super fucking tired wow. and uh then i would fall asleep for like an hour and then i'd wake up and uh feel like shit again and then it was weird and like as soon as the 10th day hit of when i started getting sick like i felt fine and then I, now i've been four days without a fever and um like it's really weird. I'm pretty sure I got it from this dude I arrested who I had to tackle because he ran away from me. Um, but I can't be for sure. When I talked to the lady from uh, Jeffco Health or whatever, she said you can actually get it going in through your eyes because I told her, I was like, I wear a mask everywhere. I don't know where like I could have possibly have gotten it. And she said, it can go through your eyes. It's like, awesome. Yeah. So uh, if you guys want to, you know, drink my blood so you get immune to it, um, <laughs> Please so wait, do. did you get tested? Oh yeah, yeah. No, I got I got tested. Um but the frosticulitis canceled it out. Totally. Um wait, wait, so wait, I, I do want to drink your blood to make myself immune to COVID. Yes. Will I also gain your powers. Yes. Okay, cool. I'm in. I'm in. I, I was I, you know, the only thing I felt horrible about is like I thought I was okay. And then I, I went to uh Best Buy to get paper Mario. And uh, I was like, man, did I fuck up and just totally fuck someone at Best Buy because I had to get Paper Mario? <laughs> and then, I, then I was like, man, I actually didn't touch anything. And I only picked up Paper Mario. Um, but this is before I knew I had was really sick. Yeah. Um, so yeah. that day that I met you by City Hall and you gave me back my DVD and mm -hmm. gave me, were you sick that day? No. Okay. I wasn't sick. It was weird. Like I said, it like went off and on. But I, I talked to my. But I mean, uh, you were probably contagious that day. Uh, no, because they said that it's like the first, uh, like two days is when you're contagious, and then it like goes away. I don't know. 
So. I did research. If you, if I gave it to you, Corinne, you already would have had it by now. Okay. So, so, <laughs> so if anybody has been in doubt these past 15 weeks, you heard it here from Mr. Ryan Frost that this isn't a fucking joke. It's <laughs> real. Yeah. So wear your fucking masks, people, please. Yeah. I get mean, back to the damn movie theater. I, I'm lucky because I didn't get it that bad, but, yeah. you know. I think uh, the doctor told me when I was there, 15% of people have to go to the hospital. Yeah. Well, um, you're pretty, you're pretty healthy guy in general. Yeah. I mean, I, I work out two or three times a week and yeah. things like that. Your, but. Yeah. You keep up your, your own like natural immunity and stuff. Oh yeah. Yeah. Like, <laughs> well, there's my boy running by naked and to, I mean, I was really worried about, you know, giving it to my wife and stuff, but she doesn't have it. Yeah. She did get sent home though. So. She didn't have to. She doesn't have to work for another week. That's good for her. So then that. So, go ahead, Corinne. I did see something about how um, just wearing a mask. It if you do get it because you're only inhaling or whatever less viral load because you're wearing a mask. That if you do get it, you will have a milder case, or you're more likely to have a milder case. Yeah, because you know that's the one thing is like I. I I always wear a mask. And the only time I couldn't remember where uh, wearing it was when I had to tackle that dude is the only time. Cause he tried to run away from me. See, and uh, yeah, I mean, even when I saw you, Corinne, I was wearing a mask. So I, uh, yeah, it was weird, but I'm fine now. Yeah. No, it's, it, I was getting a little concerned cause we, um, we recorded our uh, your final Shamley, mm-hmm. and um, this is not to plug it, but at the top of the episode, you were talking about how you were not feeling good. So yeah, so I that was a day before I went in, if I remember right. Um, yeah, I remember texting you, going like, "It says like we're going to do this by Zoom." We were we 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 spent a lot of time trying to get it prepped, and then when mm-hmm. I heard that story, I'm just like, ah, I should have prepped my end a lot better before no it's fine and that's and that's why this today i said we need to do it by zoom yeah um because today's actually the uh 14th day of when my symptoms started so technically i'm fine i i I stayed in our guest bedroom for six days it was awful so it's just like you know boring but i did play a lot of paper mario and um i read a lot of comic books um cool buddy and uh so and i you know my wife's fine my kid's okay that's all that i care about um kellen's running around naked and showing me stuff he's gonna make for halloween brad's on the telephone yep that does look delicious okay mm-hmm. cool hi, so Kellen. can you say hi Thank goodness okay. you didn't call me Blacklist Lady. <laughs> hey, Kelly, what show does Corinne watch all the time? Black. Black movie. <laughs> yeah. Don't, don't feed it to him, Ryan. No, he, he said the black movie. So, I mean, that's pretty much the blacklist. He knows what it's talking about. No, if anything, that's Zach. Zach's the one who watches the black movie. <laughs> <laughs> so, hey, Zach, let's, uh, let's do some movie news. Okay. It's real news. So there's not like a lot of fun news um, other than the fact that 
AMC's delaying its opening yet again. But anyway, movie news. Um, where, where was I, Ryan? Um, uh, Tenant, and I was telling you that um, it's going to open in select U.S. cities on the 3rd. Yes, that and, is correct. And Colorado is one of the movie theater, uh, states that will allow movie theaters to open at like 35%. Mm-hmm. So I'm hoping that a um, couple weeks into August, they'll start doing some legacy programming and then um, we'll be back to somewhat normal. Yeah, to get us um, to get us kind of slid in there a little bit as best we yeah, can. Because um, the because the good news about I guess if there is good news for Colorado, is um, even though cases are going up, the hospitalizations are still kind of staying low. Yeah. Um, so continue to wear your masks because I don't want this to get worse. Yeah. Um, take it from someone who knows. <laughs> <laughs> okay that was mean <laughs> but fine you you've been through a hard time i get it no it wasn't that bad um but no um so um anyway though but yes from a larger perspective of the country yes amc is delaying its 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 opening like that it was planning on so that hasn't changed much as a result a lot of films have been pushing back period um, mulan was taken off the schedule completely i bet it's um, going to be a lot like uh tenant yeah seems like and then uh paramount pushes a quiet place to top gun maverick to 2021 and they're also setting some dates for sonic the hedgehog too so more bad news um but um i am excited for top gun maverick regardless of when it comes out because i want to see that nine x um i'm not like a big top gun guy but i do want to see those aerial shots on imax really bad um but not all hope is lost guys we're going to be getting in some theaters on September 1st and on VOD, the return of the two great ones, Bill and Ted in Bill and Ted face the music. And we got a new trailer for it and it's way better than that first trailer. Yeah. The first trailer was really rough. Yeah. It was really rough. This one pretty much sets the story up and that's great. I kind of just wanted to get the story out of the way there. I think I already know the ending, but I don't care because that ending would be great in my head. Um, uh, but yeah, we also got to see the return of death. Um, we got to see them recruit some, uh, Bill and Ted's daughters recruit some figures of the past as well. So everybody's getting in on the Bill and Ted fun. Um, within that Kevin Smith gave a review of the film that said it's transcendent. Um, I, I don't know if that's him talking or the weed talking, but either way I'm excited. Cause if he's excited, I'm excited. Um, uh, and on that note, we actually got a trailer for a new Kevin Smith movie, which I didn't even realize this was still happening, called Kilroy Was Here, which was originally going to be his Krampus movie. Um, and at Comic-Con um, at home, they debuted the trailer for Kilroy Was Here, which is an anthology horror uh, comedy um, that centers around this kind of, uh, this little character, a bald, with a bald man with a bulbous nose. Um, and uh, it's it's inspired by the doodles that the GIs would make in the forties um, during world war two. Um, and it's that phrase Kilroy was here. So that's where they're drawing it off of. Um, so yeah, I'm looking forward to this, I guess it looks interesting. The, the trailer was not like it, it was what it was. Um, but like any anthology that I've been seeing recently, like with nightmare cinema, I'm, I'm down for some kind of like, doesn't need to be a full story it can be little scattered shorts so i, I like horror anthologies um yeah. scream factory has tells from the dark side coming out and i always really liked that one yeah and i need to get creep show from that i really need to get creep show. you should yeah 
Um, uh, at any rate, also, um, if you are in LA and you like the El Capitan Theater, they're offering concessions to go this weekend. <laughs> um, so, or the last weekend, so they might extend that out. So, hey, if you want to get Mickey Mouse pretzels, go right ahead. Heck yeah. Um, uh, here's That's like stats. one of my most favorite things to get at Disneyland. Yeah. Speaking of places that are in LA though, and also probably in Florida, um, Universal Studios Halloween Horror Nights has been canceled for the first time in 30 years. Guys, wear your fucking masks so that we can all wear our masks again on Halloween night. <laughs> um, but yeah, no, this is actually a shame because the, the, they had a lineup that I, I can't remember what the lineup was supposed to be this year, but they were apparently supposed to be changing it up a bit. So I would have been excited to go if I could. It's one of those things I always wanted to go see. A couple years ago, they did Freddy versus Jason. I really wanted to go to that one. Yeah, that, there, was a, there was a year or two where they did Psycho, and I know they did House of a Thousand Corpses, which would have been a lot of fun. Um, hey Brad, remember when we went to that one called like a really long time ago called Slasher Gulch or something, and the slashers there were smaller than like Is that the my one like kid? on South Parker. Yeah, like it was like a, a like an abandoned Albertsons. Yep. Yeah. <laughs> like I love the idea, but when you your Jason is smaller than like the size of my kid, it's not that scary. And they're always just like doing yeah. this and like following <laughs> you from close behind, like just put your hand out forehead like yeah yeah, yeah. <laughs> um but yeah no and, and, and I'm, I'm trying to remember what they they said early on they were going to be doing something and i can't remember what it was to save my life but regardless yeah though this is sad like that's that's a fun night for people out there in that area and you know it's a shame they're not going to get to have that and i know la is going through some even worse shit than we're going through so um yeah. but um moving on um it looks like Edgar Wright is setting uh, set up to direct a movie called Stage 13, a movie about a ghost that haunts a film studio. So that sounds like a lot of fun coming from him. Um, and it's going to be an adaptation of a short story by uh, a guy named Simon Rich, who I've never heard of. Um, he, but he says the movie won't be traditional, like in terms of a traditional horror movie or a ghost story. So uh, I'll be very interested to see what comes Love out of everything he's done. Yeah, no, exactly. He's pretty great. He'll probably pop up in our 2010 film explosion if I'm. Uh, he better. Quickly. Yeah, um, and then um, it's Scott Pilgrim, uh, Corinne. Yeah, versus the world. Yeah, I, I'm aware it's not. No, uh, Corinne was thinking about why he would be in 2010. Because he her. made one of the best movies of 2010, Corinne. <laughs> <laughs> Keep on thinking if I should switch to vegan so I can get vegan powers. Yeah, well, you'd have to eat a lot of bread, but bread makes you fat. <laughs> Bread makes you fat. <laughs> thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you. <laughs> oh God, that that's oh God. I I need to rewatch it before Film Explosion as well. Um, at the Comic Con at home, we also got a Looney Tunes cartoons panel, uh, where amongst other yes. things they do they debuted another short from the next wave that's coming out uh, called Postal Geist. And I've seen the short; it's great. It's Daffy and Porky are fighting. I goats. think they just put like four more on HBO Max today. They did. Okay, I, I, I got a I got a, a alert about it. Okay, I didn't get any alert about that, so mm. that's good to know. Um, but the panel, amongst other things, introduced us to this really cool box set uh, to celebrate Bugs Bunny's 80th anniversary. You're gonna get already 60, pre-ordered. <laughs> Sixty shorts remastered. You get ten shorts from the new Looney Tunes cartoon series and a new documentary uh, about the 80 years of Bugs Bunny's history. 
Um, and the are, are you, you're getting the edition with the Funko or whatever it is. Um, I think that's the only one that's available. Um, okay. I mean, I pre-ordered that one. It's, I think, 70 bucks. Mm-hmm. But here's the way I look at it. If it's 60 cartoons, I'm paying a dollar a cartoon. Meh. Yeah. And you're, well, yeah, that, and you're also getting the 10 uh, HBO Max ones. True. In, in, in physical media, which they haven't released any of them yet through that. Yeah. So, so that's going to be some great news. It, it, if they bought, if they buy this out a bunch, that, then that means we get Dappy Duck. Mm-hmm. And I want that because Porky Pig 101 already set the standard for glory. Yes. Now, and now I want this to be completed so I can, so I can stop whining on the internet. Um, <laughs> um, and then the last bit of news is everybody died. <laughs> everybody died. Um, actually, not everybody. Just um, we got our usual three, and then we were hit with a surprise fourth. Um, but th- amongst the people that we would be familiar with um, would be John Saxon, passing away at the age of 83 in films such as Enter the Dragon, Black Christmas, and, of course, A Nightmare on Elm Street and A Nightmare on Elm Street 3, Dream Warriors, where he played Lieutenant Donald Thompson. Um, yeah, I, I love John Saxon. <laughs> like, He's one of those guys who's in tons of stuff, and you like him in all this stuff. And he worked with everybody. Like, mm-hmm. like it, he, his filmography listing is fucking nuts. And if you watch the Nightmare on Elm Street legacy uh, documentary, like the, the every nobody says a bad word about him. Nobody has anything bad to say about John Saxon. Yep. Nothing other than he's a legend. Um, and and he, <laughs> I love the story in that where he went into. Um, uh, Wes Craven after, after he got the role and he brought in a, a, a kit with two different types of wigs. He's like, all right, which one do you want me to wear <laughs> to play Donald, to play uh, Lieutenant Thompson? So, um, and he, um, he, he was in a movie that I reviewed for the Clint Eastwood series called Joe Kid, where he plays a Mexican revolutionary. And obviously casting a white actor in that role is always specious to watch it years later. He's really good in the movie. And I would recommend people check out Joe Kidd to watch how good he was when he wasn't just in horror movies or I mean, Entered the Dragon. He's really good in too. But um, yeah, if you, if you want to check out him in a very early role, Joe Kidd is a good one to go with. Um, but then the, the, the big shocker that came after John Saxon was Olivia de Havilland um, finally passed away at the age of 104. Um, I say finally, because it always seemed like she was never going to die. <laughs> um, but that's, that's a legacy. Like she's literally like one of the last big, big stars of golden age Hollywood that was alive. You know, everyone points to gone with the wind. Um, my favorite movie with her is the adventures of Robin hood. That's the correct answer. That's the because answer, it right? is a gold coin. It's, it's such an amazing, it's the greatest adaptation of Robin hood. Mm-hmm. Um, yep. And it, what's really fun is when you watch that one, you realize how much the Disney one aped off of it. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, cause even the Fox is, Errol Flynn and um, their maid Marian is definitely Olivia de Havilland. And it's uh, yeah. So that movie is fantastic. And if you have an opportunity, the Blu-ray is great from Warner brothers. Yeah. Um, and glorious tech. It's like, a, it's like a technicolor triumph. Like that movie looks incredible because of the detail they put into it. Mm-hmm. That was Warner brothers saying, we really want to get into the prestige business. They went all out on this. They ended up using both William Keeley and Mark Michael Curtiz to direct that movie because they, they didn't really like what Keeley was doing. So they brought in Curtiz to finish it off. 
but it, it ended up being one of their biggest money makers that year and getting nominated all across the board. And, uh, and what's, uh, you know, she lived such a life that, um, after she passed, there's been stuff that's been popping up and there's a great article from Vanity Fair about her and Joan Fontaine's, uh, kind of rivalry. Um, and yeah. I mean, I think Joan Fontaine is stunning yeah. and it's, it's a great article. Um, yep. should, uh, just go to Vanity Fair's Facebook page. It's on there. Yeah. Um, and she it talks was- a lot about Errol Flynn and, um, how much she loved him, but then she stopped liking him for certain reasons. <laughs> yeah. Oh yeah. Yeah. Um, but you know, yeah, exactly. And uh, there's amongst the other movies that she was in with Errol Flynn, Captain Blood, where they were first put together. And that's really what gave Warner Brothers the assuredness to put Flynn in Robin Hood. Hey, Zach, am I, is it 10 movies that they did together? Is that right? I think so. Yeah. Um, that, there's, there's, a, there's a bunch that you can go through. Like, the, there's one that I would recommend to people if you haven't seen it, Dodge City. Dodge City is really good. It's actually, the plot is the, the, the movie itself is the basis for Blazing Saddles as a plot. Mm-hmm. Um, but they are both great in it. And there's also, they dive with their boots on and um, there are a couple other films together, but she wasn't just Flynn's co-star. She also was in films like Princess O'Rourke. Um, and she, she was in a later horror movie called Lady in a Cage, which I haven't seen, but it's got early James Caan in it. And I'm very, very interested to see it. And I've, I've been hearing from different friends of mine on Facebook that it's one I should watch. So I'm going to look for Lady in a Cage. Um, but th- that's not the only thing. She, she wasn't just an actress. She wasn't just a beautiful screen presence. She was also a warrior who fought Jack Warner in court mm-hmm. to get herself released from a contract. And thus, basically, her her... Her, her lawsuit, which ended up becoming de Havilland's Law, was the beginning of the end for actors having to have exclusive contracts at studios and also having those contracts unjustly extended. Um, so Olivia de Havilland was a big, big pioneer in mm-hmm. the rights of film workers, like very early advocate for the, to fight against those injustices that, you know, we talk about the injustices of the film studios today and they are bad. They were even worse back then. Like for all the love we can have of the movies they produce, like the moguls were not wonderful, no, horrible people, people. Um, horrible. And Olivia de Havilland fought that. And it's funny because Bette Davis, who, Betty Davis, who ended up saying later on that everybody owed a debt to de Havilland. She tried to do the same thing that de Havilland did and lost big time and had to go back on bended knee to Jack Warner to even get it, get a role period. But de Havilland fought it and they uphold held it in uh, Los Angeles superior court. And, it's why you do, it's why you rarely, if at all, see an actor exclusively signed to a studio. Um, I, I mean, yeah, now Marvel it's now it's uh, now it's first looks, yeah. you know, where who like let's say you know uh, Lee Wynall, he gets a first look through Universal. Right. If Universal right. passes, he can take it anywhere he wants. Back then, that didn't happen. Yeah, and, no, exactly. Uh, and Olivia De Havilland is a big reason why. Cary Grant is a big reason why. It's because they didn't like what they did. And I mean, I love this. Like I told this before, you know, Cary Grant would tell people like Jack Warner to stick it up his ass. And um, I mean, he did in my fair lady, they told him they wanted him for the professor. And he told, he told Jack Warner, if you don't cast Rex Harrison as the professor, um, not only am I not going to do this movie, I'm never going to be in another Warner brothers movie ever again. 
And yeah. uh, they go, oh, um, he's serious. And then people like Olivia de Havilland that blazed that trail too. Mm-hmm. Um, because although women at that time in Hollywood were the bigger stars, they were treated horribly. Oh, yeah. And, um, and that's uh, so hats off to her for, uh, for taking on the studio system and not being pushed around. And that's why she's a legend. And, and you should also um, look at a film uh, like Charge of the Light Brigade. Again, another example of their, of her and Flynn's chemistry, like th- their journey together is interesting as co-stars because they, they, they work so well on mm. screen. Now, granted, Flynn's got his own baggage that is not fit for the 10 minute segment we're doing on De Havilland right now, I guess. But, um, but, you know, De Havilland is a, was like one of those like last people that we have a glimpse of like that was living of this era that is pretty much all but gone for the fact that we still have the movies available to watch. Is that, uh, did you follow her on Facebook? I never did. No, oh, um, she, I, I followed it. I thought I followed her. And then I found out later that that page was a fan page and I was like, okay, well that's not the same thing. So. <laughs> um, but I know that she was active on social media. Yeah. Interesting. So I know you guys said like, oh, you know, Gone with the Wind, whatever, you know, she's good for other films, but she is really good in Gone with the Wind. Oh, yeah. yeah. Melanie's one of the most sympathetic characters in that movie. You know, we, <laughs> we rag on Gone with the Wind a lot, but it's... And deservedly so in some yeah, instances. Yeah, in some things, yes, but it's also one of the greatest films ever made. Yeah. Um, it, it might not be the most exciting. You know, I, I, I liken it a lot to Lawrence of Arabia, where these films are epic and they deserve to be watched. But at the same time, you go, okay, <laughs> you know, I get yeah. it. It's four hours long. <laughs> there's a, there's a point that uh, in her discussing initially why she wanted to be in Gone with the Wind, it was, I thought this was interesting. Is like out of all the actresses in Hollywood that wanted to play Scarlett O'Hara, she was the one who was just like, no, Melanie, <laughs> I want that one. She, she seems like she's a lot more likable. <laughs> yeah, well, no, she totally is. Like yeah. Melanie yeah. is actually the heroine of Gone with the Wind. Yeah. Yeah. Because you notice like, once she dies, the movie immediately ends. Yeah. Ah, uh-huh. spoilers for a movie that's 81 years old. Hey, but, but you know, I mean, it's funny. I would contest that Scarlett O'Hara is actually maybe the first anti-heroine in film, or one of the first. I'd have to rewatch the film again to... Oh, she is a bitch. <laughs> she, yeah. She's never... She's kind of... I mean, I actually have never seen Breaking Bad, but from what I know of, like, your kind of typical... Because Walter White is kind of held up as, like, the typical anti-hero. I know what you're going to compare. And him and uh, Tony Soprano, right? And it's yeah. kind of like you... Like, they're not, like, good people, but because of the situation that they're in, you kind of root for them. And it's the same thing with Scarlett O'Hara, but, like, she is by no means a good person, but because she goes through hell, you're kind of like, yeah, I want this gal to, like, come out better on the other end, and she doesn't really... Oh, no, no. I... I, I agree a hundred percent. I mean, there's characters that stick with you. And I think um, Melanie is the one who sticks with you in um, Gone with the Wind. Um, yeah. She's, she's literally the. Yeah. She's like Jane Bennett. She's like too kind for her own good in some instances. She's literally like one mm. of the, one of the, one of maybe two hearts in that movie. <laughs> like uh, as far as like those lead characters are concerned, but Yep. Um, it's interesting that she dies in the movie and she was one of the last people to die from the cast. I think she was the last one to die from yeah, the cast. Yeah, exactly. She's gone now. So that means the curse is broken. I don't know. Um, but, uh, but yeah, no, 104, man, a hell of a fucking life. 
got made mm-hmm. a dame later in her life by the queen. Which, by the way, how how did that take that long to happen? Excuse <laughs> me. Like Sean Connery got he became a sir or something like that. No, really, like like some of our more modern actors actors got that, but we had to wait for Olivia de Havilland. I don't I don't, I don't buy know. That. Just like I had to wait for Rod Stewart. Yeah, that that also was so. It's That's a Olivia travesty. John Stewart and Hitchcock didn't get it until way later. So I'm still angry about that one. Um, That's interesting. I don't know. I mean, obviously I don't know how they pick them, but out of a hat. <laughs> they get it out of the crowd. I, I mean, now it's a okay. lot to, I mean, not only for the arts, but you have to be pretty active in charities and stuff. Yeah. Yeah. Which and I guess Havlin, you night because yeah. I don't know. A weird coda on to have one though, is that when she, uh, right before she died, she was portrayed on the FX TV show Feud, Bet and Joan, which is a good TV show if you want to check it out. But she sued the producers of it for her for the portrayal of her in that series. And uh, this time her lawsuit was not upheld by any superior court. Um, so she she lost that, but she won a more important years, years ago. So, yeah. So long, so long, man. We will miss you. And that is news. All right. Brad, do you want to take us around town, buddy? Yeah, let's go to the drive-in. Hey, film buddies, follow me around Denver. Uh, at the drive-in, uh, the um, 88 drive-in is... Why is it not on this page anymore? The Jungle Book. They are, they're doing the Jungle Book, Men in Black, and, or the 2017 Jungle Book, 16? Uh, Men in Black uh, and Deadpool is starts Friday, <laughs> July thirty first. So, so, what's the best Disney live action remake? Is it Jungle Book or Cinderella? Jungle Cinderella, Cinderella for sure. I, I think Cinderella is the most. I was more shocked by how good Cinderella was, um, and the uh, uh, and the Jungle Book is a pretty astounding movie too. I mean, considering that the animated, um, the animated Cinderella, like thirty percent of the movie is just like mice running around, they really like had to stretch that out and really make it into. Well, I mean, part of the reason is because Kate Blanchett is freaking amazing in that movie, and the costumes are stunning, and they got the right director for that film for sure. They also gave a lot more background to the prince and the king. In yeah. That version, so. What if it's I Mulan? We don't even know. Yeah, no. Well, I, I, I mean, I think Mulan looks amazing. Um, you know, there's that. I, I love. Uh, I, I think Mulan, the animated film, is one of Disney's most underrated films because um, I think it's overshadowed by Eddie Murphy's Dragon. But if you cut that out and uh, just focus on the story, it's a pretty great story with some great music in it. Also, the art style of that movie oh, is yeah. very unique. Oh yeah. Yeah. I I go for Jungle Book. I go for Jungle Book, but for weird reasons. Like I never thought you could find a person to do a reasonable ver- version of Blue that wasn't Phil Harris, but Bill Murray did a great job. So, and the movie looks incredible. It's also just well, the Lion King, but I'm I'll I can live with this. So. But arguably, I mean, they already had Ruyard Kipling's, like, beautiful novel and stories to go off of. So it's like, 
I mean, how can you mess that up? <laughs> True. I mean, yeah, the heart of the story is already there. If you, you know, just yeah. keep it the same, it's still going to be pretty awesome. I think with Cinderella, they had more work to do. Yeah, yep. I suppose so. I just really like the Jungle Book. So if you uh, head a little bit more south from the 88, you can hit up the Denver Mart drive-in, uh, which I think is like 56th Avenue. 58th. 58th. And uh, they are showing E.T. and Back to the Future this weekend. Hell yeah. See the so. Back to the Future steel books that are coming out on 4K? Yeah. I think I'm still going to go with the book version. Yeah. Because I have that Target steel book from the Blu-ray set. but I, hey. I love that it just makes like a big DeLorean. I think Across all three time periods. Yeah. Yeah. What about the drive-in in Fort Collins? The drive-in in Fort Collins, they have two screens, and the first one is playing Karate Kid and then 50 First, 50 first Dates. I thought you say 50 Shades of Grey. I'm like, what? <laughs> <laughs> that's one sexy drive. Actually, that's, that's well, kind of a fun It is rated thing. R, right? Uh, yeah, I mean, the Karate Kid's not rated R, so it's, it's still a weird... Uh, that's what I'm saying is, like, you have the usually like whatever the more mature rated film is later in the evening is the connection. Like the, uh, the moves like the crane kick is also like a sexual thing. <laughs> um, so yeah, there's that screen. Uh, second screen, which I'm going to is star <laughs> Trek 2009 and then star Trek, the wrath of Khan. Oh, so awesome. Awesome. Double awesome. feature. Yeah. Very nice. New Trek for the for the youngins, and then stay late for the classic. I just I just kept thinking now about Corinne connecting Karate Kid with Fifty Shades of Grey, going like, I want you to kick me, kick me as hard as Daniel Song kicks, kick <laughs> William Zabka, do it. <laughs> yeah, sweep my dick. <laughs> First of all, Ryan was the one who said I didn't want. I don't oh, want. You, to you were the one who made the connection. No, Sorry. No, I was like, I thought you were about to say Fifty Shades of Grey. Don't don't lump me in with that terrible movie. No, 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 no. I'm not. Uh, have you seen Fifty Shades of Grey? No, of course not. Because I've then, then how do you then those. how do you know it's terrible? Because it's no, terrible. Because I heard someone on the podcast talk about it. <laughs> I, it I have seen all of the Twilight movies, and I'm done. I'm done with that bullshit. <laughs> but the Fifty Shades of Grey has like. No, this guy who no. almost dies in a helicopter, that's, and then he comes dark. back with like dirt on his face. That's Fifty Shades Darker, and it also has. Oh that fuck! Thing. I don't even remember which ones they are. And that also has the cigarette picture <laughs> that I'm. I'll, I'll never forget that we we saw that in the theater, and me and James could not stop laughing when he <laughs> showed back up out of the clear blue, and like, why is everybody crying? Not even knowing that he was supposed to be dead, and I don't know if he walked home. Or what? But that I'll never forget that scene as long as I live. I'm Corinne, always tempted to watch him again just for that scene. Corinne, I'll tell you, this is this is the extent of the stupidity of, of at least the first two of that series. There's a scene where one of the bad guys at the very end takes a picture with his phone of a family photo and then prints out that photo and then burns it with a cigarette at the top of a cliff because you have to know that he's going to be a threat in the third one. That's the cliffhanger. And I nearly threw my computer out the window. Or what about the time where she's like approving book covers and then she approves the one and then she goes downstairs outside. This is all in the same scene. She goes outside and that book picture that she just approved is like in the window. 
Yep. What the hell is going on in this? The turnaround of their publishing company is ridiculously fast, like beyond any comprehension. (laughs) Who knew a movie about sex would be so unsexy? And so convoluted and stupid. (laughs) And on that note, that's what's going on around town. (laughs) Nice. Hey, what's coming out on Blu-ray? DVD releases and Blu-rays. I think we're down to the doldrums, Ryan. Like, of just, like, nothing. Um, although maybe there is some stuff to be had. Who knows? Um, tell you, t- I'll tell you what. Do you like 13 Ghosts from 2001, Ryan? Uh, it's coming in my... Uh, it'll be in my post, I think, tomorrow. Yeah, and it can be in all of your guys' homes via Screen Factory Collector's Edition on Blu-ray if you want to pick that up. Um, We've got the complete collection of Wonder Woman on Blu-ray, which is that a reissue? Seems like that no. should have already happened by now. No, I think it's only on not. DVD. Ah, mm-hmm. uh, gotcha. Well, now you can get Linda Carter's Wonder Woman on Blu-ray, and that show's fun. Yeah, that's uh, all right. Uh, let's see. Linda Carter is beautiful, though. She is. She she was a she was a lovely Wonder Woman. Um, Shout, Screen Factory is also putting out Graveyard Shift or Stephen King's Graveyard Shift. Has that uh, one come in too? <laughs> I have not seen that, Ryan. Is that worth my money and time? Um, you know what? I'll let you borrow it. Um, oh. It's it's about these guys. I, I haven't seen it in a long time. But if I remember right, it's about these dudes who work the Graveyard Shift and there's like mutated bat people or something that eat them. Ooh. I can't remember. I'm pretty sure it's that. Um, I'm down with that. I, but uh, it's, it's I'd have to remember. It's not that I need assurance, like, because I'll generally dive into whatever horror film I can find my hands on. I just, it seems like I would be hard pressed to spend 20 bucks on this particular one. Whereas 13 Ghosts, I'd be curious on the bonus features alone <laughs> to figure yeah. out how that movie got made. <laughs> well, um, I mean, Graveyard Shift is fun. It's a monster movie for sure. Right. I, 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 I used to rent it all the time when I was younger. I don't, uh, I haven't seen it probably in 15 years. So I don't remember exactly the beats of it but I'm pretty sure it's bat like people or my, maybe rat people that eat okay. the dudes. I think. It, yeah. It's so weird. Like it's, it's a Stephen King adaptation. I am not familiar with like, and if, um, if I'm wrong, then, you know, it's $20. I won't get back. You know, which one I like that, that doesn't get a lot of credit is cat's eye. I enjoy cat's eye. Yeah. Um, Anyway, moving on, though, uh, there's a reissue of Apocalypto, which I still have not seen, and I'm perfectly fine not watching it, I guess. It's okay. Yep. Um, let's see. Uh, there is a, a movie from 1975 coming out from Vinegar Syndrome called Old Dracula with David Niven, and I really, really want to see this. It sounds interesting. Um, the new Adventures uh, I, of Old Dracula. <laughs> I guess a- it's, um, it's a, supposed to be a play on Young Frankenstein, is that's, what I read about it. Yeah, it's it's uh, that's what it sounds like from this premise. I'll read the premise for everybody because I, I had never heard of this before. In the spoof of the Transylvanian legend, Count mm. Dracula sinks his fangs into a bevy <laughs> of Playboy bunnies in order oh, to find the, in order to find the right blood type to resurrect his dear departed wife. Then, after a mix-up in the lab, he finds he has a different kind of problem because he's old guys. And it's 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 erectile dysfunction. I'm assuming anyway, um, or fang 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 problems, you know, because he's a vampire. Um, let's see. Kino Lobor is putting out the Universal uh, production of Twenty Thousand Leagues Under the Sea from 1916. So that might be some fun to check out if you like some 
good old science fiction, Jules Verne from the silent era. Um, not, Warner Archive is putting out uh, the 1940 version of Pride and Prejudice with Greer Garson and Laurence Olivier. Um, uh, this is uh, this is a version I did have not seen, so I'll have to pick it's this up. Really, really good, but also kind of bad. <laughs> you know what? Like, I it's, love- not, it's not close to the book at all, but it's like entertaining in its own way. But you and know, it's it's definitely like, it feels very like glamorous. Like, and no, Colin Firth in a wet shirt. So hey, it has Sir Lawrence Olivier, and he's fully clothed, and he looks beautiful. So shut your face. Okay? And Ryan, Ryan, you know who it does also have is Greer Garson, and I do like me some Greer Garson. She's so really I, good in it too. Yeah, I, I, I would expect nothing less from Miss Greer Garson. Um, uh, Kino Lover's putting out The River uh, from mm. 1984 with is Sissy that Meryl Streep. No, it's Mel Gibson and Sissy Spacek. Oh, and Sky of the River Wild. Yeah. Thank you. <laughs> um, and they are also putting out an Errol Flynn and Maureen O'Hara movie called Against All Flags from 1952, which also features Anthony Quinn. He's down there in the lower left-hand corner. Um, and they're also putting out Lorenzo's Oil with Nick Nolte and Susan Sarandon. Um, this is Nick Nolte when he... So, um, yeah, you can check that out if you like. I, I don't... I don't I, I don't think I... Do I like Lorenzo? It's not in a science class, and I don't remember it, like, beyond Nick Nolte working his ass off to find a cure for his kid. Um, But it is directed by Mad Max Fury Road director George Miller, so if you want to complete your George Miller marathon, there there would be the way to do it. I didn't think uh, Um, there's oil with purchases in it. I I do I you know what I do remember in Lorenzo's oil when Nick Nolte said it is by my hand you will rise from the ashes Lorenzo. <laughs> so um witness me find the cure. <laughs> <laughs> We've got two war parties on our tail and we still don't have a cure. <laughs> <laughs> Um, and then also Warner Archives also putting out Million Dollar Mermaid and Esther Williams uh, swim swimming picture. So if you want some Esther Williams in your life, there's your chance. Or you can watch Hail Caesar where Scarlett Johansson does a great Esther Williams impression. Um, and then I don't know if this is new. So somebody's going to have to clarify this for me. There's a steel book of Wonder Woman in 4K. Uh, is this a new steel book? Yeah, it must be a new steel book because the, the old one, I, I was not a fan of the old one. So I actually got... Uh... Oh, and sweet. I yeah, got mine, the uh, original one. Yeah, mine, mine has the cartoon art of her. Okay. Yeah, I, I got the standard edition because I didn't like the cartoon art. Okay. Wait, yeah. does that not even have her face on it? She's in shadow. It's in I shadow. think that's one of the, that's like the original poster, kind of. Where she's standing holding her shield and stuff, right? Yeah. I get that, but it looks like it's like cut off at like her neck. Which looks really creepy. I and, do love. I do love Wonder Woman. Yeah, and it's perhaps detrimental to the whole conversation because don't you want the woman, not the object? Uh, she's in the shadows. Well, I get that. That's like the whole point of the silhouette. But I'm just saying, throw her face in there so we know she's not just like a body. She's like a person. Uh. I'm about I mean, to throw hands with a with a Blu-ray cover. Um, 
And then the last, um, the, the last two we have um, are Kino Lobers putting out The Public Eye with Joe Pesci and Barbara Hershey. This is a movie from... Hey, anyone Man- seen The Public Eye? Have you seen this, Ryan? Because I haven't. No, I've never even heard of it. It, it, the, the cover is Joe Pesci looking like an old-timey photographer, so I'm very, very interested. Um, and then the last movie, uh, coming from Vinegar Syndrome, and this is a Vinegar, Vinegar Syndrome exclusive, um, slipcover limited edition, The 11th Commandment. Um, Wait, there's I, only 10 of them. But, but Ryan, is there? <laughs> is there? I will did, read- did Mel Brooks drop the, uh, the slab again? He's <laughs> 15! <laughs> Ten, ten commandments. Any um, history of the world fans out there? No. no, there should be everywhere. They taught me about the Inquisition and its horrors with a big musical number. I still think uh, the greatest joke in that is Hitler on ice. <laughs> How can they say I'm not a king of the people, Paul? <laughs> I haven't seen that movie in a long time. That's a great What's movie. your occupation? Stand-up philosopher. What? I inspire people with my thoughts on the human condition. Oh, you're a bullshit artist. <laughs> Um, oh man! Uh, the plot of the Eleventh Commandment is a murderous psycho breaks out of a mental hospital and goes after his aunt and uncle who had him committed. So far, I'm hearing nothing about the additional commandment. Oh man! Was it "Thou shalt not throw our nephew into the loony bin"? I have no idea. You'll have to pick up the Eleventh Commandment, and that's Blu-rays, guys. Uh, we watch movies throughout the week in a segment we call "What You've Been Watching." So, uh, yeah, this is the stuff we've been watching. Uh, I actually haven't been watching a lot. I, I actually started playing some games on the nice. Switch again. And uh, nice. Mortal Kombat 11 was the first one. It's a fun one. Uh, and I was really impressed with the story. Uh, yeah, like, it's kind of crazy, huh? Story mode, like, it's so cinematic to the point where I'm just like, can I just play the game? But overall, like, it, it was, like, actually poignant, dramatic story. Like, I liked... I haven't played what happened before, so I'm kind of catching up to the whole mm-hmm. Liu Kang Raiden rift. Um, and what Raiden does to repair that is just like, ugh, heartstrings. Yeah. What a well, it, uh, it's basically in Mortal Kombat 9, they had a story mode and they rebooted it as well. Um, and what happens is Raiden will do anything to protect Earthrealm. And at the end of Mortal Kombat 9, he basically... Um, receives a vision from himself in the future saying if he lets Liu Kang win, then all these events will happen. So he kind of changes that. And then at the opening of Mortal Kombat 11 is the end of Mortal Kombat 10, where Raiden is torturing Shunok and uh, he comes, becomes corrupted. That's why Raiden's red. And if like uh, good Raiden's blue, corrupted Raiden becomes red. Um, but yeah, no, it's pretty great. Who's your go-to character? Uh, I mean, I really only played story mode, so you kind of get to play everybody. Mm-hmm. Um, so I don't really have one. I was just, otherwise, I've just been playing as Robocop, and nice. he's all right. Um, yeah, I'm really he's... bad at fatalities. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I could just not get the timing down. Um, I, I always like the faster characters. I like Cassie Cage a lot. Um, new character, I love Cetrion. Cetrion is, has so many power moves. Um, and people usually don't... Uh, choose her so when i fight online and ranked matches i win a lot because people don't know how to fight me Um, because she has lots of special moves and her combos are pretty devastating Uh, because most people when you go online they're going to be scorpion sub-zero um lu kang every once in a while i'm surprised playing somebody but not that often yeah i think i did 
in story mode, I did the best as a Kotalcon, but he's, he's li- tough to use. He's just like a bruiser. So yeah. So he's, he's like a boss character. So yeah, you know um, yeah. If you can, I mean, he's, I love his fatality where he kicks your head off and smashes a monkey sculpture on you. Um, I'm pretty um, Mortal Kombat ignorant. Who's the worst character in Mortal Kombat? Out of curiosity. Ugh. I mean, I that's anybody who isn't Raiden. Whoever didn't make it into Mortal Kombat 11, I guess. <laughs> um, I don't know. I mean, I'm not. I'm not the biggest fan of Liu Kang. I, I, he's one of the popular ones. I like Kung Lao a little more. Um, I don't know. That's a good question. Yeah. Also. Yeah. Listeners, write in. Who's the worst Mortal Kombat character? Well, I mean, Sue Howe from Mortal Kombat uh, Deception is like a really horrible like Chinese caricature. Um, and then they have goofy ones like MoCap, where it's like the motion capture guy. Um, those guys are kind of meh. Wait, MoCap? The yeah, motion capture guy? Yeah, he's like a hidden character. Okay, is it just a guy in a motion capture suit? It is. Oh, so it's just Andy Serkis. Andy Serkis got much. it. Mortal Kombat, gotcha. Yep. Now, I was okay. genuinely curious because I don't know these characters that well, and I might get a new system soon, and I might want to get a Mortal Kombat game. You should. It's yeah, great. I got eleven because it was only twenty bucks on the Switch that week. So that's um, a great deal. And uh, I wasn't gonna get Aftermath, but I think I might now because it's just this, yeah, the story's great. In just Aftermath or just, like combined? Uh, yeah. So like, um, it's really good because the dude who plays who's Shang Tsung in the game played Shang Tsung in uh, the movie. Oh, so, that's why he wasn't in the... Okay. So he's really... Like, the dude who... He's really great in it. And Sonya Blade is voiced by Ronda Rousey, and it's awful. <laughs> um, but the... So the Peter Weller is RoboCop, so that's great. And then, um, yeah, the guy who plays Shang Tsung, I think it's... Uh, I forget his name, but Carrie something. So RoboCop he's great is, in it. RoboCop's actually part of the story. It's not just like, hey, a fun add-on. Uh, he's not in Aftermath, no. Okay, so he's just a fun add-on. Okay. He's just a fun add-on, like the Terminator. Because in them, they talk about, like, you know, OCPs tied to whatever yeah. combat is. Like, it's all orchestrated. But, yeah, it's 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 fun. I mean, he's not part of the main story, but he's fun. He's more fun than Terminator. Terminator's not that fun. Uh, probably the best add-on character is the Joker. Um, yeah. he's, he's pretty sadistic, and his fatalities are awesome. I bought him, but I actually haven't used him yet. But uh, yeah, yeah, and I also forgot, like, part of the the story, like, even Johnny Cage and like Sonya and Cassie's story, mm-hmm. uh, you know, having to like live with their doubles for a short amount of time. Yeah, uh, like Sonya dying. Um, yeah. At the end, like, I, like I didn't register me when they started the game. It didn't register to, register to me that they were already like twenty years older mm-hmm. than like they're 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 treating it like real time, like they would have been twenty years younger when. Mortal Kombat 2 came out, right? Yeah. So that's pretty cool. And then um, Kotal Khan and Shao Kahn's like rivalry, and then Katana yeah. coming in to like take over the realm. Like that was a cool story too. So yeah, you probably like the aftermath story. It's pretty great. Yeah, it's yeah. an impressively dense game. And even on the Switch, like yeah, the graphics aren't as great as probably this PS4, but yeah, but I mean, there's so much to do too. Have you even gone into like the crypt or? <laughs> yeah, I mean, yeah. the crypt is just like, hey, more money. More money. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I mean, you can get to a point where you unlock them all, but to get all the heads is like, you have to be each character or do a fatality on each character 25 times. Um, so it's, there's a really easy way to do it. So what you do is you pick like an endless tower and you only fight one round. So the person on the bottom, you just 
beat them, do a fatality, and then just quit the tower and then go back because that person keeps on populating it. And uh, you can do that pretty fast. Nice. I still have to get 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 good at fatalities, so ah, um, easy. For you, <laughs> I just can't get that timing. Um, yeah, there's one last thing. And you also got Link to the Past, right? I got Link's Awakening. Oh, Link's Awakening. I'm sorry. Link's yeah. Awakening is an amazing game. Which I started, and yeah, I never played the Game Boy version of it, so this is completely new to me. But yeah, like right away, I'm like, um, it's it's only, the only uh, like top down Zelda game that I've really invested time in. Uh, but yeah, like within the first hour, I was like, okay, I'm just rock, rocking along, and then I got stuck, and I couldn't figure out like what to do, and then eventually, you know, I just tried this one thing, and now I'm off into like the next world and. Uh, yeah, it's just a fun puzzle solving, like who needs what, you know, go find this yeah. thing, take it to this other person. And yeah, I just miss Zelda. Like, <laughs> yeah, it's, it's a, it's a really fun and it's one of those games too. Cause my favorite Zelda games, Wind Waker. And um, I remember when that came out, people were always, you know, iffy about the cutesy cartoon characters, but it looks great. And this one's cool. Cause they're kind of like Lego people um, or weebles. I don't know what you want to call them. And yeah. it, the art style is really cute and it's really well done. It's a great game. Yeah, that that comparison never like that always confused me because even on the Game Boy games, like Link was tiny in tune, so yeah, people just complain. But no, I you know, uh, yeah, Link's Awakening. I I got it, and you know, for the first hour, I was like, oh, this game's pretty fun. And then I slowly started getting into it as my progression got better. I got more weapons, and I started finding the compasses and. And then before you know it, you've already beaten, you know, a couple dungeons and you've played it for like three hours. You go, oh, <laughs> all right. Yeah. Yeah, it's a ton of fun. So uh, that's my next quest. Um, nice. And then the last thing I watched was an actual movie that I watched and that was Death Warrant because that Blu-ray came out, that special edition. And, uh, you know, I think we talked about it on Film Explosion, but I forgot the, uh, like the non-corrupt prison part of the movie, which is... The officials are harvesting inmates' organs. Um, <laughs> yeah. Uh, and, like, the main... The guy... It's it's so weird. The guy who is doing, like, orchestrating the harvesting, you know, hires his niece or something to do the investigation. Like, and he's surprised he got caught. <laughs> <laughs> um, I know they tried to, like, make it look like the actual, like, prison like head of prisons is the actual uh you know guy uh causing trouble because he's always got like he's always got like the the negative attitude about it uh so but yeah it's just i thought that was a fun like why would you hire your your niece to do this like and then what did it take for you to get your uh blu-ray i ordered mine the day you told me and i haven't gotten it yet Uh, i think i ordered mine the same day as you huh i wonder if coming up here takes it longer maybe shipping's weird right now I know, I know. Like my, I ordered stuff on Amazon when I was really sick, and which probably isn't the best thing to do. Um, yeah. But like now, it's some of them are taking like a week and a half. Um, we'll see. Yeah, I got tons of like outstanding stuff that's just like I've got stuff that's arrived before I've even gotten like a tracking number. Like, uh-huh. <laughs> like oh, cool! I didn't know this was coming. And then there's <laughs> stuff that's like has a tracking number that's just like been out forever. So. Mm. That's what I've been watching. Corinne? So not too much. I uh, I watched seasons two and three of Community. 
I really had to like stop myself because I was like, I want to, I want to start season four like right now, and I was like, pace yourself. <laughs> like there are other things to watch, you know. Troy and Abed in the morning. Oh my god, I love this show so much. Uh, there have been so many great episodes that I was like, oh, that was a good one. That was a really good one too. That was even better. Like the one that's the one that I can think of right off the top of my head is when they spoof Law and Order. Oh yeah, with the with the sweet potato or yam or whatever the hell it is. Yeah, I, I love when it's just the most inconsequential object or story point that just plays out for the whole like twenty two minutes. Um, it's such a brilliant show. Um, it really is. It it's definitely like in my top ten favorite TV shows of all time. Because so, I, I started so far, uh, so far. I mean, hopefully seasons four through six. They're good. They're they're not quite as strong, but they're still good. I mean, I I I've been rewatching them too because I ordered the Blu-ray set after I heard that they're pulling episodes off of Netflix, and um and I just watched the episode where uh, Jeff Winger is way overconfident because of his new prescription he got, and when he puts on aviators and um yeah. Dean Helton <laughs> walks up behind him, and he's like Jeffrey, <laughs> and then he, and looks then he just at, falls over. <laughs> I love Dean Pelton. He's probably my favorite, like, uh, reoccurring character. Um, you know, uh, I think the guy's name is Jim Rash, and yeah, he actually voices uh, the Riddler and a bunch of other characters on the Harley Quinn animated TV show. Yep, and he got an uh, Oscar a couple years ago for The Descendants, right? Yep, and he also directed uh, Downhill this year with uh, Will Ferrell and Julia Louis Dreyfus. Yeah, he's a talented fellow. Yep. Good for him. I think he should do more voice work. I think he's got a good, got a good set of pipes for it. He's he's in Iron Man three or not or not Iron Man three. Um, Captain America: Civil War. Um, and he's like begging Tony for a grant. <laughs> uh, yeah, if you pay attention to all the uh, um, movies that the Russo brothers have directed for Marvel, all the uh, community people are in it. Uh, you know, Shirley is in the elevator with uh, Cap and. Tony in Endgame and uh, Abed's in Winter Soldier. Yep, yep, it's good stuff. And I did notice that uh, I don't know how you say his name, but Ludwig Göransson is the guy who does the music on Community, and of course we know him for Black Panther and mm-hmm. The Mandalorian. Yep, yep. So it's kind of interesting to see like this kind of weird confluence of like older talent like Chevy Chase and then like newer talent um, with. The guy yeah. who's Troy, whose name escapes me. Donald Glover. Donald Glover, thank you. He was a writer on 30 Rock, so I, oh, I yeah. wonder like, how, like, if some of the same humor he, he brought with him. So to, there's a great uh, Donald Glover community Easter egg in Spider-Man Into the Spider-Verse. Yeah. Um, on the TV, um, there's a picture, uh, there's the scene where uh, Troy wakes up and he stretches. He's wearing Spider-Man's outfit. That's on the TV and uh, into the Spider-Verse when Miles wakes up. And um, if you um, if you've ever if you ever have a chance, listen to Donald Glover's stand-up because he talks a lot about the whole. There's a I don't remember how long ago this was, Ryan, but there was a whole thread about like casting Donald Glover as Spider-Man, which ended up paying off somewhat in Far um, Homecoming. Um, but like the the bit that he does on it is brilliant. And it also yep. is a big, big pointed like commentary on how the internet continues to operate today. Mm-hmm. 
He's but he's really funny. <laughs> yeah, Donald Glover's an amazing actor. Yeah. yeah, and also like a couple of other episodes I thought of are the the like claymation one that they mm-hmm. do for the Christmas special. Which I'm not a big fan of claymation, I guess, because like when they first started, I was like, "Well, this looks like really creepy." But as it went, I was like, "Okay, like the story isn't engrossing enough." And then the other one was the video game with uh, Giancarlo Esposito as uh, uh, (laughs) Pierce's half brother, and I was like, "I would legitimately watch a spinoff of those two." Like, I want to see like you know racist Pierce living with his black half brother. And, like, having to just get along, that would be really interesting. Well, first, the creative crew would have to get along with Chevy Chase, which that's not happening because Chevy Chase is Chevy Chase. Right. (laughs) I I do feel like I have seen stuff on the internet about how Pierce is, like, he is basically Pierce in terms of, like, racism and stuff. he's, 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 He's had a reputation for a very long time of being hard to work with. And in community, he's slowly written off of the show. Yeah, I think season four, he's in like three episodes and he does a voiceover and he never comes back. Yeah, They did a funeral episode, which was one of the ones they did as a table read for charity recently on, um, for during one of the COVID things. So, yeah. Oh, I did watch the uh, 30 rock special that they did. Nice. Forgot about that. Um, it was really good. I mean, it's, you're kind of limited on like, you know, just shooting people at their house and stuff. But for the, for the quality, it was pretty good. I, it did feel, it felt a lot like 30 rock. I don't know how to explain it. Yeah. It's a fun little thing. Yeah. And then the other thing I watched was, um, it was a Netflix anime film called a whisker away. And that has cats in it. It does. It does have a cats in it, and it's it's a it's like a combination of the cat returns and a silent voice. So it's like really like tonally weird sometimes because it's like you you think it's gonna be all fantastical, and then at the end it takes this really sharp turn into like Depression Town, and you're like, "Whoa, great! I really enjoy that." <laughs> That's got some neat elements in it though i don't know if i would recommend it it's almost a little bit too bizarre and they really pack a lot into it because i was like all right we're gonna start wrapping this up right and i pause it and i'm like we still have 45 minutes left of this movie oh my gosh (laughs) so the pacing's like a little bit weird but i don't know if you're really dying to check it out go ahead it's a whisker away it's on netflix or something like that. I think I got the title right. <laughs> That's a ringing <laughs> endorsement. <laughs> I, know. I know. I was like, once upon a whisker, like some, <laughs> something with whisker in it. So memorable. <laughs> yeah, it was. Oh, I know our guy, Johnny, uh, Johnny Young Bosch, the guy who voices Vash, the stampede. He's the, uh, the he Black was, Ranger in the second season of Power Rangers. Yeah, nobody cares. Um, but he's one of the voice <laughs> actors in it. <laughs> I know, you know I did. I people do care about the Power Rangers. I did a panel with the Power Rangers at Comic-Con, and there was like 7,000 people in that arena, all cheering for the Pink Ranger because the Green Ranger was late. Right. Well, <laughs> I don't care about the Power Rangers. I know him for his voice work because he does great voice work. So 
But it's a little bit weird that he's like 42 and he's voicing this kid who was like either middle school or high school. So a little, little weird. Have you seen uh, Grease? 40 year olds are playing yeah. high schoolers. <laughs> I, I know, but that's just like you, you could get like a 16 year old in a voice booth. That's not that hard. Well, uh, there's children's rights for working in okay, Hollywood. Get so. an 18 year old in a voice booth then. Jeez. Yeah. Whatever. I won't complain because he's a great voice actor. But yeah, that's all I've been watching. Zach? Alrighty. Um, watched a couple things. My catchphrase. Haha. Um, I rewatched The Sunshine Boys. Um, still a fun movie with George Burns and Walter Matthau. Ryan, I think you should give this one a watch at some point. I think you'd like it a lot. Sounds like I like those two guys. Yeah, and uh, it's... Uh, <laughs> Still, still one of my favorite scenes is they're, they're trying to rehearse their sketch. It's, it's about two vaudevillians who are kind of uh, coerced into a reunion, but they don't like each other. They broke up their act because of differences in the way they approach the act and also just things they don't like about each other. And they're trying to rehearse the sketch. And it's uh, w- Willie Clark, played by Walter Matthau, is really laying into um, Al Lewis, played by George Burns. And at one point he's getting angry because George Burns' character keeps tap poking him when he's trying to make a point. So he pokes him in the, in the chest really hard, according to Matho. And he, Matho pulls out a knife and goes, next time you use the finger, say goodbye to the finger. And there's this, it's one of the most beautifully staged shots I've ever seen of Walter Matho pretending to be a much older man, chasing a 78 year old George Burns with a, with a kitchen knife. <laughs> and so it's a, uh, it's still a fun movie. Um, lots of fun. It's, it's, it's available on Warner Archive, but I think you can rent it too on uh, Amazon and such. Um, I, uh, I rewatched uh, Lost Souls because uh, Brad got it for me as part of my Severin uh, 3 for 50 Blu-rays. Um, it's the documentary about the making of Island of Dr. Moreau and how Richard Stanley was kicked off the set and then later cursed the set itself um it's still a fun documentary um just watching the footage of them trying to make that movie that turned out to be a god-awful mess is uh always a fascinating experience um rewatch the thin man um with william powell and myrna loy um gotta love some nick and nora and asta too always a good time um i want to go through the rest of the series again because i watched the thin man a lot but i don't go back to the rest of the series a bunch um so that might be some some little side project I'll do down the line. Um, and then I went ahead and I finally com- uh, uh, followed through on my commitment to Corinne and I rewatched the 2005 Pride and Prejudice directed by Joe Wright. Um, Yay! So, so here we go. Um, and, and Ryan's going to take his headphones off because he knows. <laughs> yeah, I heard Prime Prejudice. I'm leaving. <laughs> um, so to, to preface this, I had seen this movie before. Um, it was af- shortly after I saw Atonement for the first time. And I was like, oh, I want to see what else, what else Joe Wright has done. Um, and it's Pride and Prejudice as a plot. I was just kind of like, as a teenage boy, I was like, okay, this is not really for me. It's beautifully shot, looks beautiful, but I'm not relating to anything. I'm older now. So I, I can get in touch with emotions better, um, arguably. I mean, like, I, I, I'm still not confident in it myself. But when I, I realized rewatching it, 
that when I first saw this, I really wasn't paying attention to the story. I was really trying to just get through it and go like, okay, I've seen this movie. Rewatching it, I've become more invested in the plot and thusly these Austin characters, which this is a problem with me when it comes to costume dramas is that like, if it's well made enough, I will get sucked into their drama. (laughs) And, uh, this is definitely the case with Pride and Prejudice. So if you don't know the story of Pride and Prejudice, um, or as, as I have been uh, referring to it as formality, the motion picture, um, because everybody calls everybody Mr. and Mr. I hear the word Mr. and Mrs. so many times in that movie that I was just getting annoyed at a certain point. Um, obviously. Yeah, that's kind of like how old-timey oh, like, oh, yeah. British and America works. Oh, yeah. I, and, and don't get me wrong. Like, I, I know this is in other movies, but for whatever reason today, I was just noticing it all over the place. Um, but it's about the Bennett family and uh, one Elizabeth Bennett and her trip... Tri- tri- like her just her her constant roller coaster of emotions with one mr darcy (laughs) um the abusive mr darcy right right gotcha yes exactly and so no but so here's the thing so i haven't seen the miniseries version and so ryan was describing last week i believe it was how he you know he doesn't understand why elizabeth would go with mr darcy um i'm here to report that i understand for a couple reasons. Number one, it's based on source material from what the eight, the late seventeen hundreds to early eighteen hundreds. Corinne, I don't know when Jane Austen was around. So uh, Regency era, like eighteen thirties, I think. Okay, so that makes sense. Why she ends up with Mister Darcy Ryan? It's because that's when it was written. But but more importantly, um, I don't know that's how a convincing was. argument. <laughs> I I don't again. Like I'm just I'm trying to be kind here as best as i can but um but the other thing is is that i don't know how colin firth plays it in the bbc version so i'll have to see that eventually but matthew mcfadden who plays him it's interesting he plays it like a jerk but he's so mr darcy is one but but he's but okay as he's supposed to be at that at that top half but as you're as you keep going he's so soft-spoken that i don't know exactly if he's a jerk what one thing I know for certain is that it's I'm I'm trying to figure out is he like is he supposed to be sexy because of the things he corrects after he screwed over the marriage the 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 potential engagement of Elizabeth's sister to Mr. Uh, what is it? Bringy? Mr. Bingley. Bingley. Yes. Bingley. Oh, by the way, this movie hates redheads because they're either portrayed as goofballs or very mean, cruel people. And I will not stand for it as the proponent of the redhead community. Um, but, um, but yeah, no, it, it it's weird. Like I, the, 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 I, w- I appreciate that they progressively try to redeem Mr. Darcy in the eyes of the viewer, but I'm not like fully convinced as a modern viewer, I guess. And I don't know if that speaks to my inability to connect with Austin's material. It's highly possible. As, as I was watching the movie, the character I connected most with was Mr. Bennett. Um, one, cause he's played by Donald Sutherland and two, because when he first opens his mouth in the movie in a way that the audience can seize it, he opens a door 
all of his daughters are huddled around the door eavesdropping and he goes, Oh look, people. And I was just like, that's, that's, that's my character. That's my spirit animal in this movie that I'll connect with for the rest of this journey. And, um, and so, yeah, I, I will say this about the film ultimately, like it is, it is one of the most interestingly shot period dramas I've ever seen because basically Joe Wright's throwing in uh, 90s to early 2000s filmmaking techniques and visual schemes into this movie. So there's a lot of snap zooms to people. Um, there's a lot of, there's a lot of uh, intentional staging where not every, one of my favorite scenes actually is when they're doing their dance and then suddenly everybody else in the dance hall disappears and it's just this thing. And I like the way that's visually represented. Um, whether or not that works for Austin's material, I have no idea. I'm looking at this solely as a film, a film viewer and a, and a quote unquote filmmaker. So I appreciated what it does on a visual level. And like the performances are all fantastic. Like Kira Knight's charming in the movie. Um, Matthew McFadden is good at what he's doing. Um, there, Donald Sutherland's my favorite part of the movie, as I spoke before, but really tender and warm in the movie as well. Um, Judy Den. Which's cameo um, is, I think, less screen time than she had in Shakespeare in Love, which she won an Oscar for. So I'm surprised she didn't get an Oscar for this movie as well. Um, and she's basically relegated to hard, cold stares and basically has the same amount of screen presence as Michael Myers does in a Halloween movie, where, he, where she just stares. She gives, like, dark, blank stares at people like she's sucking your soul out. It's, it's crazy. Um, and uh, and at lest I forget cousin uh, Mr. Collins, who I, it's sad to say um, is 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 his the portrayal of him by Tom Hollander is interesting. I don't know if this is how every person portrays him, but it seems like he has a disability, and I think it's kind of weird that they're like almost making fun of this disability in the movie because um, he clearly has like it's and it's nothing against that it's just more or less like i i see that in there and i'm just like it seems like a weird choice for this movie but i'll go with it and mr collins is like he's ultimately harmless but it's it's the way they're positioning him it's almost as if though he's supposed to be like this this quote-unquote villain type and then then he's not so again i don't know how austin works so i could not tell you uh, what Collins is supposed to represent. I think Corinne would probably have a better idea than I do. Um, but I, I mean, I enjoyed the experience overall. Um, and I, I would, I would be fine going back to other adaptations and seeing how they play out. Cause it also feels like this story is very, uh, a light. It doesn't like it. It's so streamlined. I'm assuming because like, I'm assuming Pride and Prejudice is a very thick book. And this this feels like the bullet points version to a, to a more or less. Um, I speak that mainly because all the other sisters in the Bennett family are treated like garbage and have nothing to do in the movie except for Jane and I guess Lydia because I guess Lydia is a character in the movie. I don't really believe she's a character because the only big scene she has has to do with an enormous dick in the movie. Which oh by the way, Corinne, I have a question for you. The man that Lydia marries, the, 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 the military guy. Yeah, Wickham. 
So the, the shot where they're leaving after they've had this like beautiful dinner and it's revealed that Mr. Darcy was like responsible for the whole wedding and whatever. <gasps> the, 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 does, when she's saying goodbye to her family, from afar, the shot looks like that the military guy forces her to sit down. So is he like a dick to her in their marriage going forward? Because it's what it looked like. Yes. Uh, okay. Okay. Yeah, uh, the last chapter of the book is kind of like a denouement, like wrapping up like how everybody, you know, progresses and stuff. And yeah, he, they basically says that his love for her runs out very quickly and hers, oh. her love for him runs out shortly thereafter. Okay. So, All right. Yeah. So then that was a good piece of direction by Wright to suggest what, what, will, what her fate will become then. Because I was like, I felt weirded out by that at first. And I was like, no, maybe this is like one of those little small touches. So, so okay, so that's good. So that's, that's a way he's able to address it without having to give up the ending that he has, which it's, it's very, very saccharine. But I enjoyed it as a person who's trying to warm up his heart in, later in li- recently in life. So I did enjoy their little banter at the end, looking out into the darkness as they all say like, well, you'll call me Mrs. Uh, Mrs. Darcy, when you're really, truly lovely. And, and there was a part of me that's like, oh, this is adorable. Which uh, I think that, it, that scene is actually the American ending. Like that, that, that was must, something they added on for the American version. I I don't know how it ends in the UK. I don't know if there's like okay. an alternate ending or if it just ends like when she tells her dad, like, I'm going to marry Mr. Darcy. So, but again, though, it it was one of those things where I was just like, okay, I do have a heart because I did enjoy this part of the movie. Does it justify Mr. Darcy in my mind? I don't know. I'd have to watch other versions and see how they portray it. Or I'd have to read it. I I really feel like uh, Matthew McFadden's Mr. Darcy is not that much of a dick. No, he's he's, very soft-spoken. That's the thing. Like, he barely says a word. Yeah, the weird he's just part. awkward. Like that's the whole thing. Is yeah. yeah, he, he's he's not nearly as much of a just just asshole as Colin First Darcy is in the '95 version. It's it's weird. He sounds like a Vulcan most times because he sounds like he's very logical when he's saying what he's saying. And I'm like, so is Mr. Spock dating Kara Knightley today? That's interesting. But you know, like I, but I can't like again like. I'd have to see what Firth does with it to see more of what Ryan was seeing out of it, I guess. Um, but I, I, I will say that like, it's, it's worth your time because it's not that long. And I think you, I think you'll get a good kick out of it in the afternoon. Watch it. And it's an afternoon movie. This is not an evening movie. This is an afternoon movie where the sun's still shining in your window. Um, but yeah. And that's all I watched this week, guys. <laughs> is it my turn? I is mean, it fi- is it finally? That was like Finally. 13 minutes of fucking Pride and Prejudice. God I, damn. I will say, Corinne, I do want to do a commentary. Okay, that's enough. We'll do a commentary for it, and we will force Ryan to listen to it. You can't force me to do anything. <laughs> I will force you. Um, yeah, I, I watched only a few things. Uh, I played a lot of Paper Mario, which is really fun. Um, uh, the battle system's a little different. If you want to play a Mario RPG... Um, I always love the art direction and the art style of Paper Mario games, and they're always really funny. Um, so yeah, pick up Paper Mario, the Origami King for your Switch. Um, I watch all three um, Paradise Lost's 
because um, I wasn't feeling that good. So I kind of just put something on and then it was horrible because it's a horrible thing. If you don't know the story of Paradise Lost, it's about the West Memphis Three, which is a group of kids that were um, convicted of murdering um, three school age children mm-hmm. and um, about how they were portrayed and how they were probably wrongfully convicted of these murders. Um, Paradise Lost is really interesting because it starts with the trial um, of of these guys and it, it devolves into that they're Satan worshipers and this was a satanic uh, murder. Um, and they eventually get convicted of it. And one of the guys, Damien Eccles, is put uh, on death row because he went on the stand and he kind of said things that were a little um he he was odd <laughs> he, he was very um cocky yeah it, it's it's a very interesting um study because i think the first one is 93 the second one's 99 and then i think it's 2011 is the last one or 2012 2012 yeah um and and it these kids happened to it's almost like they just were picked on because of the the southern um, church and people not understanding what who these children or the they're all children who all these kids were listening to Metallica and listening wearing black and stuff doesn't make you a killer right um, and it's it, so every time I see stuff like this it's you know where you learn that the police didn't interview the right people they didn't do this right. And it seems so obvious when you watch this stuff or you read about it. Um, and, and I went back and I did research on the the actual murders too, because sometimes in documentaries, they always portray one side, uh, but they actually did a really good job of doing both sides when they were uh, in the first one. Mm-hmm. The second one, they kind of devolve into following one of the children's murder victims one of the murder victims dad who people believe might've been responsible. Yeah. Um, uh, Byers who recently passed away. Yeah. Uh, yeah. His name's Byers. Uh, but he, uh, he, you know, he, I, when you watch it, he doesn't seem like he was one who would hurt his kid. He, I just think he didn't know how to deal with his grief. Um, he's going and, through trauma. Yeah. Yeah. And and he, I mean, I, I, if something happened to my kid, I don't, you know, I don't know. Um, and I mean, he passes a lie detector test. There's no DNA tying him to the murders. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and then the last part talks uh, a lot about um, another one of the parents and um, bringing in FBI profilers and saying, you know, the people that killed these children probably knew them. Um, and what is really fascinating is is the only reason the spotlight started getting shown on one of the parents who turned out to be a stepdad is because he sued uh natalie mains who is the lead singer for the dixie chicks or the chicks now whatever you want to call them yeah and by doing that he was um disposed and so that means he had to answer questions and they got uh what you said disposed i think you meant deposed deposed thank you um (laughs) and he uh so she has real lawyers not lawyers from you know west memphis arkansas yeah, these are real lawyers, and um, you know they ask him, "Did you see the kids on the day they were murdered?" And he said, "No." And he said, "Well, what if I told you that we talked to people, and they said you did see them about an hour before this murder happened?" 
and the way he changes is pretty astounding. Um, I'm not saying that he did it. And what's lost in all of this is those guys eventually got set free. But what's lost is these poor three children that were brutally murdered um, because everyone's focusing on these kids that were probably wrongfully accused. And then the, the clues that the local law enforcement missed. Um, it's a tough watch because they do show the crime scene photos and video from these poor kids that were murdered. Um, but it's a really fascinating thing um, as you watch it. Um, Had it, you seen them before, Ryan? No, I saw the Peter Jackson one. Oh, West of Memphis, yeah. Yeah. Um, I think I had talked a lot about the Paradise Lost Docs when I first started coming on the show. But yeah, um, the uh, the first one is pretty amazing because it's because of how down the line it is and the fact that Berlinger and Sanofsky who were fantastic directors and Sanofsky's unfortunately passed away, but they, they did a really fine job at towing a line between showing those both sides and trying to show it unfolding rather Mm -hmm. than creating the more recent verge of documentary and how they form them, like making a murderer and Tiger King are guilty of, of what West of what paradise lost does, does, does not fall prey to mm-hmm. which is kind of just presenting it and showing it unfolding in a Maisel style. Um, but yeah, no, they're great films. The last one's interesting. Cause they almost, they were ready to finish it. And then they found out the guys got released. And so they had to hurry, get that footage and then get it in and do, in order to make their deadline. Yeah. It's, it's, it's really fascinating. Cause you know, when you see the, the one kid, Jason, like, he doesn't seem, I mean, obviously you never know, but he doesn't seem like a person that would hurt anybody. Yeah. And, um, but yeah, like I said, I feel bad for the, the little boys that were murdered uh, and their families because the, these crimes will never be solved. Yeah. And um, yeah, it, it's, that's the heartbreaking thing. So, so um, you chose to watch this when you can watch Marvel movies like anytime. <laughs> yeah, I know. So, I mean, I did, I actually, I watched um, Spider-Man homecoming Um because I've been uh, been at home and <laughs> Kellen's been picking movies and he's been wanting to watch Spider-Man. Spider-Man Homecoming is a great film. I still, uh, uh, I still think the greatest Spider-Man character moment is at the Homecoming dance. Um, the, the best scene is when him and the Vulture are talking in the car. But the best Spider-Man character moment is when he walks up to Liz at the Homecoming dance and says he's sorry because he has to go save the world. To me, that encapsulates who Spider-Man is. Um, and the, and the movie's stunning. I mean, and, uh, on 4k when he's fighting on the, the jet that reflects the Stark jet. I mean, it's maybe one of the coolest looking scenes ever. Um, so great job with that. Um, then Kellen wanted to watch Captain America movie and I always give him an option, um, on the villain. And he chose the one where the Avengers beat, uh, Thanos. So he chose Endgame. Uh, and you know, I, I've seen that movie, I don't know, 10, 12 times. I don't even remember how many times I've seen it, but I always love the movie. Um, I always say it's three hours long, but it's paced so well that it doesn't feel like a three hour long movie. And, you know, Kellen would liked it, but then he started getting a little bored when they started doing, you know, just jumping and talking to Howard Stark or something like that. Not Hulk smashing. I get it. But there's a, you know, at the, the last scene, the portal scene, or not the last scene, but one of the last scenes, um, you know, what I love about my little boy is sometimes you can't change him being a little boy. So, you know, 
there's this, you know, this, this scene where, uh, you know, Sam Wilson comes on and says, Cap, Cap, on your left. And then it opens. And then I saw Kellen like perk up that he got really excited. And then uh, the scene where Dr. Strange comes in and he floats down. And in the distance, you can see Spider-Man starting to swing. And then, um, you know, Pete lands and Kellen goes, yay, Spider-Man. And, and that just makes me like shed a tear because I know that that movie works on that level too. And what's great about it is I know it's fan service, you know, but the way the Russos compose the shots, the way they reveal the, them coming back is beautiful. And then uh, Laura was watching it with us too. And Kellen, you know, he's only five. He doesn't understand death. He kind of does. And so when Tony dies, um, he asks my wife, he, he, she said, well, why did, why, did, why did Iron Man have to die? And so Laura explained to him what sacrifice is and that he did it for this. And so he, Kellen started to cry and he said, well, that was really nice of him to save his friends. And I'm like, oh my God, my kid is like breaking my heart, but in like a good way um, is maybe the sweetest thing I've ever seen. Um, that yeah, Kellen cried and then he cried a little bit too at Tony Stark's funeral. Um, so that's, it's such a great movie. Um, the greatest achievement in cinematic history. Um, yeah, it's, it's, it's an astounding movie. Um, and, uh, I, I also watched airplane, which my wife loved. Um, I got the paramount presents version of it. Has um, she not seen it before? No, she can't stand movies like that. She cannot stand movies that they're so dumb that they're stupid. Um, but what makes airplane work so well is they have all these serious actors in it delivering lines, like they're legitimate lines. Mm -hmm. Um, and it's funny. And then I found that auto, the autopilot has an IMDB, uh, page. (laughs) And, uh, and then I realized he has that because, uh, in the film, (laughs) (laughs) um, <laughs> uh in the film it says introducing auto and uh on his IMDb page he shows up uh in airplane and in airplane 2 so kind of a funny little inside joke somebody um, on IMDb took that way too far <laughs> yeah that's so awesome um so it's a fun movie um the paramount presents is a new 4k scan it looks really great um i love leslie nielsen in it um Everything's going to be okay. <laughs> yeah. It's a, it's, it's a fun movie. Um, <laughs> you know, I, I, you know, I, I put on Twitter, my, my, one of my favorite moments in it is, um, what was it that we had for dinner tonight? You had the choice of the steak or the fish. Yes. Yes. I remember I had lasagna. It's so stupid, but it's <laughs> delivered so well that I, I love it. Uh, Laura hates it, but that's okay. Um, and the last thing I watched is I watched the 4k version of Braveheart, which, um, I freaking love that movie. I haven't seen it in a long time. Um, you know, the music in it's so great. Um, I actually think Mel Gibson is a really great director. Um, you know, he's unfortunately the last six, seven, eight years, he's had really bad press. Um, but he is a good actor too. Um, you know, the movie's great. Um, I'd have to rewatch it, but I re- in rewatching Apollo thirteen recently, I was like, I kind of wish that had won over Braveheart. But that's a different year. Watched, I, haven't, yeah. I haven't rewatched Braveheart in a while, so you should. I mean, there's, I, you know, just 
Uh, I'll, Mel Gibson gets a lot of flack because he focuses on the violence and stuff like that. But there is a great moment in um, Braveheart when uh, his wife is put on a stake before she's executed. Mm, and stake. she's <laughs> And she's looking in the distance and looking for William Wallace. And it's shot really well. Um, and they don't show her actual throat getting slit. I mean, you see it happen, but they don't show it. So it's kind of really sad. Um, and then... I don't know because maybe it's because I'm a dude. You know, she, uh, she's killed, and then the next scene where it's shot, where he's kind of like a, a ghost coming back to the village, where they just show like glimpses of him on the horse, and uh, it's shot really well. Um, yeah, I think Braveheart's such a cool movie, and that's what I watched this week. Sorry, real quick, going back to the Paradise Lost thing. Mm-hmm. I know a while back I watched the film Devil's Knot, and I talked about it on here, but. Written by Scott Derrickson. Right, and it's got Colin Firth in it, but Mm -hmm. that's a dramatized, uh, actual movie version of what happened. So if people aren't into documentaries, that's another approach. uh, I I don't like that version. I don't think it's like poorly directed or anything. It just feels off for whatever reason. And I don't know exactly why it is, but Devil's Not... It's when you have the Paradise Lost movies, it feels like Devil's Knot's kind of useless at that point. <laughs> but, um, I well, mean, I, there's only so much you can go into, but yeah. like, you know what Ryan was saying, like the the teenagers, um, it does kind of the movie definitely paints it as like they were the scapegoats, and like this is like what you know the the community just pinned this on them, and they weren't really deserving of what happened. Yeah. But it's kind of vague as to. Like, it does talk about, like, the one kid's stepdad, and I think he has, like, a knife on him that had, like, blood yeah. on it or something. That he gave to the HBO documentary people. Yeah, of, of all the and things. There, like, that night, there was, like, a black guy who came into a restaurant nearby yep. and had, like, a bunch of blood on him. And, then like, that guy is never seen again. And, you know, just, like, different things of, like, people who might have done it or might have been involved, but they never clearly were like, that guy did it. You know? Yeah. And that's, I mean, that's how it is. It, the crazy thing is that they called him Mr. Bojangles because it's at a Bojangles restaurant and they called the police about him and the police went through the drive through and got dinner. They never went inside and talked to the guy and you see, hear stuff like that. You go, um, but I will say for uh, the devil's not, um, I, if you don't want to watch a documentary that, you can see the crime scene photos and you can see murder children. Yeah. That's... Devil's not does a really good job of encapsulating the story without as graphic of stuff, because I mean, it still gets kind of graphic, but it that's does. where they find the bodies in the rivers. Pretty yeah. Sad. It, yeah. It does. But when you, I don't know, there's something that's really raw and really devastating about seeing the actual stuff. You know, in the documentary, they show a lot of postmortem pictures of the children. And it's unsettling, yeah. It, it is. It sucks. Um, so, yeah, I, it's, The Devil's Not, I think, is a good encapsulation of the story. Um, if you don't want to sit through, you know, seven and a half hours of a documentary. Right. Um, and, like, and Reese Witherspoon's actually good as the mom in it, too. Yeah. Um, like I, I said, written by Colorado's own Scott Derrickson, who went on to... Um, do Sinister and Doctor Strange. So it's a really well done movie. Like it's a oh, yeah. movie. Yeah, but it's just kind of heavy subject matter. So it is. You, you, going into it. I tell everybody, you, you know, if you want to watch this stuff, make sure you know what you're watching because it makes you sad. 
I'm, um, I've always been under this impression, like after watching Devil's Knot, I was like, it's interesting because that whole case, the, the filmmakers, Berlinger and Sanofsky are very tied into the case. So it almost felt like to me, like a, a really interesting angle to dramatize that whole struggle to get the West Memphis three freed. If you're going to tell that, you might want to tell it from the perspective of them having to sift through all this footage for a good 10 to 12 mm. year period, because it, it, they went through their own very interesting ups and downs and like their, their lives changed over the course of that time in the middle of the three that they made, they made a Metallica documentary. Like there's a lot of interesting stories behind what made those films. And also the fact that that first film is the reason that they had a case to be freed to begin with. Um, but yeah and that's what I watched Cool. this week on Real Nerds we are pulpy you okay? (laughs) yeah sorry I couldn't think of a a good way to introduce our film are you Um, talking about your digestive system? (laughs) pulpy yeah Ryan we are going to find out what lurks in the hearts of men what evil lurks in the hearts of men I guess just laugh a bunch. Um, <laughs> Are you living in 2020? We know what evil lurks in the hearts of men. <laughs> oh hey, yeah. Brad, should people revisit 1994's The Shadow? <sighs> I don't know, man. Uh, I think Zachary had a preview of my uh, Twitter uh, live watch of it for him. Um, I, before it started, I was like, this seems like something like I would be really into, but um, it just didn't um, by the end. I don't know. I, I just didn't find Lamont Cranston to be like a character. I was like, I wanted to see win. Um, you know, like uh, P- uh, Penelope Ann Miller's character. Like I was more invested in is like a her- heroine, I guess. Um, and, and, and any of his, uh, his, I guess lackeys uh, that he, you know, makes them feel guilty <laughs> that he saved their lives for. <laughs> Um, like, haha, I saved you, but now you have to do something for me. Isn't very heroic. Um, so yeah, I just, you know, it's, it's a fun slice of nineties superhero nostalgia, but like, yeah, I, I just couldn't get into like, this is awesome. Rin, should people revisit the shadow? I've never seen this movie. So should people see the shadow? Um, you know what? I was kind of like pleasantly surprised surprised by it I think I just had such low expectations of it that anything would have met them but I mean I knew it was going to be campy and cheesy going in and I was right but just I think being prepared for that made me like it more uh the first like major sequence I was like oh gosh like what are we gonna do but then like that very first like the scene on the bridge where we get introduced to the shadow. I was like, oh, this is actually kind of cool. Yep. I'm digging it a little bit. So, meh, I'd give it like 6 out of 10. Check it out if you want, I guess. Zach, it was your uh, recommendation. Should people revisit the shadow? I think you should. Um, now, granted, I'm extremely biased. And I want to thank you all for your patience in watching this hour and 48-minute uh, pulpy affair. Um, I, I first saw this film when I was very, very like, like around like 10 or 12. 
Um, and I was already into the shadow radio show. So I didn't know this existed. And so when I watched it, I was like balled over by it. I loved it. And then as I got older, I started seeing its flaws. This is not a perfect shadow movie. This is not even a perfect movie, but I really enjoy watching it and having uh, my interest in old time radio and that particular character, the shadow realized to some sort of extent on the screen. Um, it's almost like, because this is the only one we really get, I'm perfectly satisfied with what it's offering. There are issues and flaws that I have with it, but I, it's a guilty pleasure watch for me at this point. I think the idea of Lamont Cranston's character, while it could be better realized, I think it's done pretty well by Baldwin. I like John Lone a lot as Shiwan Khan. Um, Penelope Ann Miller, I think, is, gives a really good job. And I think the film is actually pretty competently directed in terms of trying to capture a noir aesthetic um, and kind of trying to capture that 40s menta- 30s and 40s mentality. And I think it succeeds on a lot of fronts for all the times it also falls. So I think you should definitely give it a shot. And you should also realize that when you watch this and then watch Dark Man, you realize that like both come super close to being the Ultimate Shadow movies. All you got to do is give this property either back to Sam Raimi or to a good horror director and make the shadow terrifying because he needs to be terrifying to the people that he is fighting against. And the biggest problem I have with the movie is that he's not always terrifying to his uh, prey. So, but yeah, I say, watch it. It's a fun, fun watch. Um, it's okay. Uh, you know, the, my, my, my biggest problem with it is, uh, I mean, it looks cool. Um, I mean, I, I have problems with the prosthetics that they put on Alec Baldwin. Um, you know, I, but there's, there's moments where it looks great. Um, but the script really lets the movie down. Um, yeah. and yeah, it's directed pretty well. Uh, it, it, there's some parts though that are really stupid. You know, when, uh, Cranston's being followed in the middle of Manhattan by a dude in, uh, Mongol armor. And then he goes into like an alley and the, the, the bad guy's like, hey, where'd he go? And he was literally right behind him. And it, stuff like that just drives me crazy. Um, and yeah, it's okay. We'll play the trailer and I'll talk about it a little more. He was consumed by evil. For as long as you can remember, you've struggled against your own black heart. Shoot through him. Every man pays a price for redemption. I'm not looking for redemption. You have no choice, but I'll teach you to use your black shadow to fight evil. He became the shadow. If I didn't see anything, I swear. Dump him. Ah! Ah! <laughs> Who's there? Did you think you'd get away with it? Did you think I wouldn't know? Report. Police investigation of murder. Agent advises inquiry. Who knows what powers stir in the night? Whatever you did, it's in the past. Join me. Inside you beats a heart of darkness. I do what I do to fight back the evil inside me, but some part of it is still there, waiting. Genghis Khan conquered half of the world in his lifetime. I intend to finish the job. And when the adventure begins, activate the bomb. Who knows where it will end? 
Alec Baldwin, John Lone, Penelope Ann Miller, and Tim Curry. Who knows what evil lurks in the hearts of men? The Shadow. I did um, enjoy the uh, the art direction. Like I enjoyed the matte paintings of the city. Like the yeah, the noir feel of that yeah. era it was pretty good. But um, I also noticed the movie starts like Batman Begins, except Bruce Wayne's a dick, <laughs> a murderous dick. Um, like they even yeah. got the poppy fields they're harvesting on the side of that mountain, and it's like at Ra's al Ghul's temple. Um, yeah, you know what I I don't get is. Um, Zach, you're a big Shadow fan. I might be misremembering, but isn't he supposed to be like a World War One hero and he goes missing and then he comes back? He's not like some crazy murderous, murdering uh, opium guy, right? So they do establish in this movie that he fought in the war and that he went and he, then he went missing and then that's when he comes back. This This version of it, I have, I'm not, I'm, since I'm really big into the radio show and not necessarily the pulps, um, my guess is, is that they're drawing a lot from the pulps for this origin story. Um, In the pulps, would they say that he's like some cracked out opium addict dealer who murders people randomly? I don't think they would get that specific, but they do infuse the fact that he learned under, I don't know if it's the Tolku, but he learned from other uh, other people the ability to cloud men's minds at, while he was disappeared and actually he has Lamont Cranston's not even supposed to be his real identity his real identity is supposed to be Ken Allard and um, uh, Lamont Cranston is one of many identities the shadow will assume but they're trying to essentially balance the mythos of the radio show and the pulp because the radio show was arguably popular than the pulp stories were even um, to a certain extent. Um, so my, I'd have to look further into it, but I don't know if it's that specific as that he was a, uh, an opiate lo- warlord. Um, Cause again, in the radio show, they never really went into it. Yeah. Um, it's just, um, it's just a bizarre choice um, because you know, Corinne's right. When it gets on the bridge, it's pretty great um, because to me that feels like a pulpy, film noir kind of thing and they have the cool hero shot of him standing at the end of the bridge with his you know cape flapping um but here's the thing i I will say that with that origin story it makes sense from a pulp aesthetic because pulp heroes are not like a uh, like a dc comics or a marvel oh no i get it i mean most of them are going to be anti-heroes but yeah or just and disreputable and like lamont's whole thing within the course of this is to seek redemption so it makes sense it's interesting the way it's portrayed by Baldwin when he's in his opium den and shooting through his guards to get at his enemy. I mean, he literally never, murders a dude. I yeah, I don't know, like, why he's chosen, like, what makes him special and he never, like, like, I don't really see how he's redeemed other than, like, he's just the hero of the end of the movie. Yeah, and, I, you know, I, I'm such a butt. I haven't seen this movie probably in 20 years, but every time the knife was you know, going, rah, rah. I thought of uh, yeah. Kung Pao enter the fist with a tongue, tonguey where it's like, yay, yay. That's all <laughs> I can think of. By the way, that, that knife, the Furba voiced by Frank Welker, you're welcome. Um, <laughs> not that you needed to know that. Um, it's not the only uh, turtle reference. Uh, the guy who played Tatsu was one of the, I guess the Mongols. Yep. 
So okay. there's a lot of uh, Seinfeld character actors and other '90s actors roaming around this movie and supporting roles. That it to a yeah. Was Peterman the waiter? Yes. Yeah, that's what I thought. And and um, uh, the most annoying airplane companion for Jerry is the head of the museum, um, uh, the guy who has Farfel the dog, and I think it's like season one or two of Seinfeld. Um, oh yeah, Neelix and, from uh, Star Trek Voyager was the security guard who yeah he couldn't help himself. In. Yeah, and like, but yeah, like it, it, to me, like the it's weird. Like, I, if I was like gonna like re-edit this or go back in time and be the director instead of Russell Malacky, my first thing would be to get rid of the origin story because I think if you just drop them into the middle of the shadow fight and really kind of like you can allude to his backstory, but you don't have to get specific. I think that would. I, Serve the serve the situation. Well, I think his uncle served it enough, where he's like, "I didn't know what happened to you after the war." Exactly. And I think I think if you opened with them on the bridge, would have been awesome. Yeah, but like that, and that scene still works really well. I will. I do agree that the the prosthetic of him clouding men's minds with his illusion does not work entirely does, well today. Why does but, his face have to change at all? That's what I mean. Like it's and, and to when I watch the film, it seems like. It's it's a movie too where the actor Alec Baldwin doesn't want to be in costume. You know, oh, they yeah. do everything they can to make sure that he's Alec Baldwin, even at the end where yeah. it's he like, doesn't even have the, the get up on. Yeah. yeah. I figured like, he was doing that to prevent people from recognizing him, even if it was just like Right. You know. He again he's furthering the ability to cloud men's minds and he's doing that to protect his identity. But the thing about the radio show and what I think they should have tried to do with this concept is to really keep him firmly in the shadows and like only bring him out when it's absolutely necessary. And they really like bringing out the shadow in this movie to pull out his guns and fight and punch. But he also doesn't show up that often. Yeah. That's, that's another issue is, is that we need more of the shadow haunting different criminals and not Lamont Cranston's love. That's what I mean. That's where where it feels like it's an actor who doesn't want to be in costume and wants people to know that it's Alec Baldwin. Yeah. I mean, and, and again, like you're, I don't know, like there's a behind the scenes feature on the Blu-ray from the collector's edition that kind of goes into the making of it, but they don't even discuss like certain story choices so much as just like, a general BTS that we never got of the movie. And I, I feel like there's, there's either, there's some studio interference clearly, but there's also, I think this is, this has been noticed that Ben, uh, um, not Ben Affleck, Alec Baldwin was like in line to be Batman at one point yeah. before Michael Keaton got the role. So I really think this is Alec Baldwin trying to do his own Batman movie. And yeah, his, his delivery on lines in the very beginning of the movie for like a long stretch are very much like, He's trying to, like, it's like he's reading a comic book instead of just being the character. Right. Um, does that make sense? Like, he's, yeah, yeah. So it, it does. And like, and this is, but this is something that I like about the movie in terms of its charm for me per- personally. Is that like, there's, there's a lot of this film. Like, a majority of this film feels like it was made fifty years too late. Like, if you had made this particular version of the Shadow in the '30s or '40s. Um, minus obviously the visual effects you have, this would be a this would be a palpable shadow movie. Like it wouldn't be out of line. I think it would look really good in black and white. Yeah. I, um, my friend Matt Willix and I talked about once trying to make the prequels into silent films, and he had an idea. Like, he already did a bit of it where he made the prequels of Star Wars in silent films, um, where he made them like four three and like uh, sepia tone, and 
I always tried to pitch him like you should do the shadow with that where you make it a black and white noir movie and like you know you can cut out whatever bits that don't really work and you make yourself a slick 70 minute movie um, I think it would have been really great if they either did two things they either made like Shawan Khan is that Shiwan Khan the last Khan? descendant of Genghis Khan he's not Genghis Khan he's the last descendant that's yeah. why he knows where Midtown is <laughs> If they made him somehow responsible for the shadow's origin, so he's more of like a more involved villain than just like I'm the guy who's screwing things up right now, or they spend the movie with Alec Baldwin as the shadow just haunting criminals in like various mm-hmm. vignettes yep. of like what kind of horrific things those men do and how he turns it on them. Yep, uh, I think that would like make the movie smaller. I think probably yep. would have been a better angle. It should be smaller because the because the initial premise is not particularly grandiose. Like when they get to an atom bomb, the the movie takes a turn for me plot wise only in the fact that they try to make this as an end of the world stakes type of movie. Yeah, and we got to remember too, like at this time, Batman is like the movie that everyone's trying to emulate. So obviously, you know, a lot of those producers just like make it like Batman. You know, he's got to save the world every time instead of doing like smaller stories that make sense to the character. Yeah. Well, to go off of what Brad was saying about, you know, make it smaller, make uh, the con guy a more involved villain. I mean, they, they already discussed like how he and the shadow are sibling disciples. Cause they were both taught by the Derva or whatever. <laughs> Who was it? Zach? Sure. Oh, Raz al Ghul. The Tolkien. <laughs> not Ra, not Raish al Ghul. The Tolkien. The Tolkien. So they're both sibling disciples of the Tolkien. So it's like you could have, you know, really leaned into that. And it's like, you know, the con guy maybe learned the Tolkien's like really just kind of vicious, efficient, like murdering stuff. And then the shadow learned more of like the, you know, mystical arts or something. I don't know. Something to kind of create this like dichotomy and how, you know, one has to you know, the yin and yang that they kind of balance each other, but they're always in contest with each other as well. Yeah. Or, or as like, and Chi Wan Khan is a villain in the pulps. So he has established, but my, I'd argue that if you're going to introduce Chi Wan Khan, you'd want to do it maybe in the third shadow movie. Like let's say there's a trilogy of shadow movies by Russell, Russell Malacki. It's his dark Knight trilogy. And you have Chi Wan Khan as the last one, because it seems like the most formidable and the most threatening but you start off small with the first movie and then you grow towards it. But obviously they're not thinking that in 94, they're thinking we'll get the most well-known villain that we can find. Um, But like, even with all that we're discussing, like there's something about when I sit down to watch it, I am immediately entered into the mode of a child and I'm able to enjoy it on the level of going like, wow, there's a shadow movie and it exists. And that kind of feels really cool to me. Um, it's like it's like I say, it's not perfect, but I do enjoy what I'm given for the most part. There's only like a few things that take it out of me for it. And the one major thing is uh, this. This was pointed out to me by my friend Matt when they're in the Cobalt Club and uh, Lamont first eyes Margot Lane and uh, he is going to order the drink for her when it cuts to Margot Lane's coverage the music starts changing to Kenny G sexy sax. And I don't appreciate that when we had perfectly fine swing music 
in the first half of this scene, and now we're suddenly getting sexy sex. Not cool. Not cool, Shadow Movie. Can't can't put Kenny G in this movie. Gotta That's be where it sweet. all falls apart for Zach. That's where it all falls apart. You can't put Kenny G in the shadow, guys. It doesn't make any fucking sense. Um, but yeah, no. And also, I, I kind of have an issue with... Nowadays, I have an issue with the way Margot Lane's portrayed because Margot Lane's much more capable in the stories and in the uh, radio show specifically than she is in this movie. And I wish she was a little bit more active. But obviously, this is 1994. I'm not getting that. That's not what Margot Lane's there to do in this movie. Um, but I think there are shades of... The, one of my favorite moments in the movie is when they're walking down um, the street in New York before he goes to the beryllium sphere that Tim Curry um, uh, uh, is making. And they're basically doing banter that they would have done on the radio show where he's telling Margot Lane where to go to find information about the abandoned hotel or the abandoned lot. And she says, well, what are you going to do? And he goes like, well... Mr. Tim Curry is going to get a visit from the shadow. And, and like, and that perks up every time I watch. So like, like there's moments in this film where I'm like perked up, like, Oh my God, Oh my God, they're doing the thing I like. So again, you know, yin, there's a yin and yang on me with this movie too. So um, also Ian McKellen's American accent kind of bothers me, but that's whatever. <laughs> like that's does not he, supposed does, to be perfect. Does he have it in X-Men? No, 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 no. He just speaks like Ian McKellen because he's, he just. He I thought he was wasted in this movie. Him and Tim Tim Curry. Oh, totally. Margaret. They, they had nothing to do. I was just like waiting for them to show up, and then I was like, okay, so where did they go again? And, and then they Tim chase Curry a bomb the throughout the hotel. Like seven movies. Seven minutes. Yeah, I expected Tim Curry to be like you know just like a second in command lackey thing, but he really could have had his own movie. <laughs> yeah. As a as a villain uh, with his whole plot, you know. Yeah, he's a he's a character that I wish they had a little more screen time for. Ian McKellen not being on screen much makes sense because he wasn't a big star in 1994, so they weren't. They, there's no reason to give him more scenes per se. But he's fine with what he's given. And also, I think this is why James might like this movie because it talks about the importance of being colorblind and how that can affect people in real life. So you know, I mean, he he's got to remember which one is green and red. Yes. Shawan Khan got rid of Tim Curry's character, right? Or was it no, the, shadow? No. the shadow? The shadow made him kill himself. Yeah, yeah. the shadow yeah. made him exit. What is it with this movie? Like having people that it reminded me of the Purple Man from Jessica Jones, where they just like have this power of persuasion to make you just do whatever they want. And it's like, oh yeah, I want you to kill yourself. And it's like, what the fuck? There is there is so much in uh forced suicide in this movie that it is weird. Um, the best choreograph that one joke where the guy like jumps off the Empire State Building and then it cuts to the the shadow walking down the street and he's like everything's falling into place as like a guy is falling in the background I'm like oh my gosh that joke is terrible you know what? that Texas sailor shouldn't have made fun of Shi Wan Khan's garb and try to insinuate that he was anything other than Shi Wan Khan um, but, I, but yeah it is weird it's that, that particular sequence is pretty well edited and shot like i love the you know the cut between where he's like come and listen to they cut a little bit and they go the lullaby of broadway and then he jumps like it's well constructed 
Um, also, yeah. what is it with this movie? Did they have some kind of anti-smoking agenda? <laughs> the no. people go out on the balcony and stare at the cigarette ad, and then they get no. brain controlled. Corinne, I've been I've been without cigarettes for a while, but I'd climb a mountain for a llama. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's that the analogy stupid. didn't make any sense on that sign. No, it, it was just like, oh, it's a face that's right in front of this building. It's easily melded into, you know, creating a form of persuasion. But, you know. That's again. what I'm saying is like, seem very anti-cigarette where it's like, oh, yeah, like It'd look be. at our ad and you'll, it's like you're being brainwashed. The, the only, the only media that's ever done it better is on Family Guy when they did the commercials for Lassie where it's like smoke. <laughs> and, then they, and then they cut to a little bit of Lassie and they go smoke. Cuts a little bit less. Are you smoking yet? <laughs> um, and then I, um, uh, but yeah, and then I, I enjoy the, uh, uh, the overall aesthetic and tone. The, the, the production design is great, but it gets a lot of things wrong. Like there's no theater that would just be called vaudeville. Like yeah. it would have been like the palace theater or the Zeke field theater. It just says vaudeville. <laughs> it's a little weird, but it's like, um, there's a pizza joint that just says pizza or yeah. <laughs> uh, hotel. <laughs> Hey, there's, a, there's a Mexican restaurant in Lakewood. Every time I drive by, it just says Mexican restaurant. So, <laughs> I mean, you never know. We should, we should start a podcast shop called Podcast Shop. <laughs> <laughs> I got to say, I really like his um, abilities. And now, I mean, like, yeah, I was expecting, especially with the opening scene with the, you know, kind of the Far Eastern influence. I was like, oh, it's just. He's just going to be Batman. Like, he's just going to be this rich guy who goes around punching people at night. But the fact that he has this kind of, like, you know, influence on people's minds and he can turn himself invisible, more or less, and he can, like, see through illusions and things. Like, that was actually kind of cool. And I was like, damn it, I really want a Martian Manhunter movie because it would be awesome. They should they should portray him like Mysterio. <laughs> yeah, kind of. I... I I've I've stood firm. I've ever since uh, Ryan and I, Ryan got me into rewatching Darkman and stuff. My my consensus is is that if you could take what they're establishing in the mythology in this film and mix it with what Sam Raimi does as a filmmaker in Darkman, you'd get a great Shadow movie. And I think that the big key thing is like it, you have to downplay times he comes out of his his cloak of the clouding of people's minds to punch people or grab them by the legs or whatever. Like something that's amazing about the radio show is, is that he plays psychological mind games with them. And I think that that would be a much more interesting movie to play with, not just in the horror realm, but also in terms of the, the superhero realm is just like, what if this guy was just like really good at like persuading you to, you know, give up, give yourself up. There's great like episodes where he like confronts people in the sewer and like basically encourages them to not uh, put a bomb underneath the sewer, but instead to go up and show people the the bomb he's made to see if they admire him for the bomb he's made. And then that's how he tricks them. Like he tricks them with, with their egos and their vanity and stuff. And it's really, it's all really fascinating. I think this movie gets very close to that, but it just doesn't hit the mark but it's still really fun to enjoy and watch. And um, I, I like this movie more than like a Dick Tracy because it kind of caters to something inbred in me as a kid. So, um, and I thank you for joining me on this journey. <laughs> yeah. The guy who plays the con, I think is probably the best part of the movie. Oh, I think he, great. <laughs> yeah. He's got a good uh, 
just sense of like the movie he's in and the role he's playing mm-hmm. and he just kind of you know fits into it very well but i got to say i was a little confused as to why a character that has like far eastern influence dresses like a gunslinger that just didn't um, make any sense to me i don't it looks cool yeah it's it's you know he's it's, it's totally it's just weird well, he, he when he comes back to America, he has to adapt to a, uh, adapt a style that would help him blend further in. So it would make sense. He's not really a gunslinger. He's more like a mysterious man of the night, or like a guy like like a guy walking down the street in a trench coat kind of thing. You know, well, get that, but he has the guns. So why not have like a sword or because know, he looks cool? Because he doesn't even need a weapon. Don't even give him guns. I don't care. Because it's pulp from the day. He doesn't want to copy Aaron Black's style from World Combat 11. That's right. <laughs> He's a gunslinger. Uh, looks like the shadow. <laughs> he oh, does. Also, I do like the agents aspect of this movie, but I feel like it's really weird to introduce the fact that he has agents working for him this early on in the game. It would make more sense to have it just be him and Margot Lane or him before he teams up with Margot Lane. The idea of the, the shadow having agents and like an, a life debt is something that I think if you redid it today, you'd have to be a little bit more uh, clever with how you present it because it does sound like he's basically just recruiting an army by guilt alone. So yeah, I mean, oh, I mean, if, even just the idea, like, like keep the same idea but just phrase it differently. Just say, "Hey, I've saved your life. Now help me save other people by yeah. you know helping me when I call on you," sort of a thing. Or have the victims like, offer like they could just have Sab Shimon be like you know, anything I can do for you, just let me know. He's like, well, there actually is one thing you can do. Like, it's easy as easy as that, instead of just being like, hey, now you, you have to do something for me, and Shimona's like, oh, okay. I didn't know that was yeah. part of the deal. Like indentured servitude. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Jeez. Like, what's funny it's is that Peter Boyle, Peter Boyle's character of Mo, who is also in the pulp and, like, in, in the radio show like he's more on board with it so like it's it's really Roy Tam who's kind of like wh- like asking the legitimate question of uh why should I do this <laughs> yeah we never um, find out like why like how the shadow saved him or the guy who like does the um like the bank uh the teller oh, oh, things oh, and... the tube, oh the tube thing his uh his his office his like communication offices yeah like those guys we never like they're just there it, it would have been nice to like find out like you know why they are willing to help like what the shadow did to help them it'd be cool if there was a longer cut of this movie that explained those things but i don't think that it exists and we'll ever get it i think it's interesting to just let it sit there as just like oh this is a guy who has clearly been working in the city for a while and has have amassed a lot of quote-unquote favors um but yeah so He's even got the police working for him. That guy, that one police officer in the very long coat. Mm-hmm. You know. So Ryan, Ryan, are you an agent of the shadow? You know it. <laughs> yeah, what I do. Well, I only if the shadow saves his life. Apparently, <laughs> I say no. He hasn't. <laughs> I saved your life, Lion Frost. It belongs to me. Okay, whatever. <laughs> <laughs> you could have had full blown COVID nineteen, but I stopped it <laughs> with my antibodies. <laughs> Uh, the weed of COVID bears bitter fruit. <laughs> Not yeah. wearing a mask doesn't pay. <laughs> I always thought that line was from Clerks the Animated Series. And then, yeah, it's from this. The weed of crime bears bitter fruit, you old hag. <laughs> <laughs> D 
dude, shut up. (laughs) (laughs) That confused me because I was like, how the hell do weeds bear fruit? Like, I've seen weeds. They don't do shit. (laughs) Listen to the radio show. It sounds really cool when it's coming from a mysterious voice sponsored by a coal company. (laughs) Ryan, looks like you're up again. Yeah, are we doing that? Are we doing um, a film explosion? I'm I'm down to do it. I have to double check my uh, schedule for Sunday and Monday to make sure I'm not working. Um, otherwise, I'm giving you guys a list. And if we do it in the morning, uh, or if we do it Sunday, it's got to be in the morning for me. And then I yeah. just need lists from everybody so I can make a DVD in like yeah. four days. Okay, I can give you two tonight, Brad. I'm gonna double check my calendar and I'll let you guys know ASAP. Um. Brad, we, do you want to just do it not this week, the following week? Following week's probably better. Give okay. people more time to like build up to it. Um, okay, I'll pick a movie. You'll pick a movie? Oh, no. Yep. Oh, no. I'll probably... Cary Grant. No, I... Oh, a Cary Grant movie. Dude, actually, pick one. That'd be fun. <laughs> it's got to we'll be see. one we can all get. Yep. Yeah, that's true. <laughs> yeah. I, I apologize, by the way, for anybody who had to purchase The Shadow... Yeah, that's four dollars. I'm never getting back. <laughs> you know, I'll reveal it to you here right now, Ryan. This was intentional because Alec Baldwin called me and he said he needed four dollars. And I said, and I don't have four dollars. I said, I don't have four dollars, Mr. Baldwin, but I know how I can get you four dollars. And then that's when I just let it slide that you had to purchase this movie, Ryan. So you I'll, just gave, gave I'll, Alec Baldwin four dollars. I almost bought it because Shouts having like a San Diego Comic Con sale, so I almost. Mm-hmm like pre-bought it before i watched it and now i'm like "Eh, i might just get ninja three only (laughs) (laughs) nice it also doesn't have that many special features so it's gonna available at your local library the 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 behind the scenes featurette does have alec baldwin looking rather distressed as he talks about it it looks like he had not had a shower that day yeah (laughs) um are we doing film explosion all together in the same room hopefully We'll have to figure it out, yeah. I mean, one of us just did, did have COVID-19, so I just want to make sure people That's like right. James are cool with that. Yeah, we'll have to we'll have to figure that out. So I'm not going to be some pariah. I'm fine. I'm not going to infect anybody. Ryan's <laughs> a pariah, liar. That's why I almost didn't tell anybody, because I don't want to act weird around me. Too Everything. late. We already do. <laughs> yeah. Ryan, I'm just going to virtually shake you and go, everything's going to be okay. going to be licking glasses or touching my food when we're... Well... Explosion. Yeah, well, it's only, you know, really bad the first two days I get to infect you once it... I don't have any more symptoms, so I'm probably pretty good to go. All right. We'll figure it out. Yep. See you next week. Bye. Bye. Thank you for listening to this episode of Real Nerds Podcast. Real Nerds Podcast is a production of Neighborless Visions Multimedia. Thank you to Sparks Mandrill and Plan 9 Studios for our kick-ass theme song. Also, if you're in the Denver area and you're looking for a cool place to see movies, we see them at the Alamo Draft House in Littleton and now also in Sloan's Lake. 
Thank you to Colorado Coins, Cards, and Comics for supplying us with all our comic needs, especially you, Andrew. You know who you are. And a big shout out to James's mom. I'm giving you an electronic hug that you can feel through the airwaves. Thanks for listening and have a nice day.